BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Bandwagon Nerds is taped in front of a live studio audience. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Oh, I'm sorry. I messed up my own greeting. Hello, fellow basement dwellers. We're in basements here. We're nerds. Welcome into another edition of Bandwagon Nerds, part three of the 90s project coming your way. I am so excited. Based on the chatter before this episode was was even started to be recorded seems like this might have been the most challenging episode and list for the nerds to put together so i'm really really excited to to bring everybody on we're going to talk wandavision episode seven big reveals all around there and a little trip to the trailer park a very brief one but i have a feeling if what i saw ahead of time is any indicator that while there will be a lot of higher on my list, I think there's also going to be some uniquely distinct films on some lists this time around for the for the drama edition of the 90s project. And so, as Greg DeMarco will be thrilled to hear, this might be a double-stuffed, super-sized monster edition of Bandwagon Nerds. And with that, let's bring in the rest of the nerds. Our good friend, the Reverend Ray Cash, who is a little big-headed going into this show, sitting on the Twitterverse, all proud of himself over compliments. The lawyer himself, David Ungar, is here as well as our live studio audience, PC Tani Gentleman. Welcome back onto the bandwagon for another week of the 90s project. How are we feeling today? You you sound a little jelly, sir. I am a little jelly. 
I'm always yelling. You get, seeing Twitter Twitter statements being all like, Ray Cash is all so great on every podcast he's on. I want to make sure I listen. Good for hashtag, you. Hashtag the new Bo Jackson. Thank you very much. Them burner accounts are really paying off, aren't they, Ray? Hey, Ray, I, I am still <laughs> yeah. looking for a co-host, man. You know, anytime you want to come over, just, just say the word. I don't know that the studio audience approves. I'm just saying, but no. So yeah, I know you're feeling good about yourself, gentlemen. How are you feeling? Gonna hate, man. We are gonna hate. How are we feeling about the '90s project today? How are we excited? I'm excited. I I never tweet about a podcast before we do the podcast, and even today. I don't know. I I feel like maybe one of the admins named Patrick O'Dowd at the Bandwagon Nerds Twitter might have put that out just because I think I'm more excited to talk about these movies than any of the ones we've done so far. I just want to know how many honorable mentions does Ray have? 40? Or are you down to 30? Well, he's breaking out the list. Oh, he, he, you want me to count them? No, 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 stop it, stop it, no, 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 no. I have, no. It, I have about 25. No. There will be no honorable mention talk today. Uh, Director's cut, God. Ray. Yeah. Patreon account, get, get, sign up right now for the Bandwagon Nerds Patreon account so you can hear all of Ray's Ray. honorable mentions. The Ray's no, OnlyFans. Be on Ray's OnlyFans, yeah. Tony and I are on Wavelengths. Uh, lately, I've noticed with the I've noticed with the '90s project, Tony, that you and I have been a lot more in sync than than even normal. So I I appreciate that. We are we are closest in age, I believe, out of the four. Yeah, of us. I think so, and it shows. So, but before we get into all of that, we do have a couple of things I want to cover, and let's just uh, let's jump right to it because I want to make sure we give plenty of time to the '90s project today, and talk a little Wandavision. Oh no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't get what's going on today. What the, what's wrong with the live studio audience? How about, there we go. That's better. I do not know what I've got going on with FUBAR today. But it has given me all kinds of trouble. It's foobard. Yeah, right. It's foobard. All right. It's, I don't and the foobar will respect you back. I, I'm trying to respect the foobar. I, I tried a couple of things and it just wasn't working for me. But okay, so it was Agnes all along. Mm-hmm. Maybe we all said that though, Tony. Like you weren't the only one that said no, that, yes. no, no. Yeah, you were not in 100% agreement with me. Not the way yes, I was. We I said things like she's been faking being under the mind control the whole entire time. Since the first episode, I said it was her. It's exactly what I said it was. And if you don't believe that. I got to agree with, I got to agree with Tony. I got to, I got to agree with Tony in the live studio audience here, Ray. Like I really do. Tony, Tony has been steadfast on the, did you notice this? You got to give him his props. I know you're feeling big about yourself. Oh my God. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, we're, we're, I'm just saying he's not he's not wrong. There. Can I ask what did I miss? What did Ray do that was so awesome? That so I there just... was a so there was a tweet. I, no no can I t- can I say can I say it? No, I got love. That's what it was. Somebody likes me, and Patrick <laughs> Ray, doesn't like it. I Ray, like Ray, Ray. Got some 
love you guys. I love you. You guys have the same reaction from when I think it was Maple Leaf Wrestling one time tweeted about a Potus War and said, "Tony, we don't know how you put up with those two guys. Way to go, or whatever." And Platt and and Belaz thought I had a burner account or something like that. <laughs> Pay no attention, Ray. Bask in the ajou that is the fans that love you. No, and here, here's the thing, though. The fan was, like, is is a fan of the show. Like, they complimented. They were very high on our uh, 90s uh, '90s project last week. Like, they were they were high on the family films, complimented how great it was. But, no, they they, they did. They, they talked about how Ray Cash apparently makes every podcast they listen to better. And I was just concerned that this compliment got dropped in on our recording days so that now Ray... How long did it take you to teach your mom how to use Twitter? <laughs> a couple years, bro. A couple years. <laughs> I just like how people... But Tony... it works like a charm. <laughs> I love Ray. I... I like how PC uh, okay. Tony compared so Ray to a... Uh, Let's get back to it. Ray was a French dip sandwich a few minutes ago, but that's all cool. I'll take you got to soak in the au jus, Dave. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So yeah, shout out I... to James, by the way. Shout out to James, the, the guy. On Twitter, yes. shout out to him. I, very, very, I appreciate very. the love. Back to Wandavision. It was Agnes all along. Is it only Agnes all along? <laughs> we need to video this. Yeah, Everybody's doing the same like, thing. It's so great about a podcast. It's so great about a podcast when people respond with head shakes and nods. That works <laughs> for the audience. They love that. Go ahead. Patrick, why don't you just go ahead and start off with what you think is going on? Because I think we're all pretty much close to on the same line and we can all just kind of work off of you here, I think. Fair enough. Uh, so here's the thing is, yeah, Agatha Harkness has been long rumored to be a part, uh, you know, be part of what's behind what's been happening to Wanda and, and be, being one of the people manipulating her. And at the end of this episode, that was the big climax is that, you know, Agnes slash Agatha is revealed to also be a witch, also be using witchcraft and has been manipulating things throughout the various decades and the people uh, within the WandaVision show. Now uh, there is a post credits tag the, the the two theories of who could be working with Agnes, I think, are still out there in that it could either be Nightmare or it could be Mephisto. I posted a funny meme today in the Bandwagon Nerds chat as we record this on Sunday of basically Marvel fans where anytime a new character shows up, they're like, that's Mephisto. That's Mephisto. People are really sold on, on Mephisto as being the guy I don't know that I'm entirely sold, and I don't think the rest of this panel is either, but there was a lot of things to see in Agatha's basement. And not, you know, from just the build of it with the roots in the ground, very like almost like tree-like structures, to that book that's on a pedestal. What's the book? What could the book be? And it could be about two or three things. Dave's already put the microphone up. He's ready to speculate on the book. Um, so... Yeah, that was that was kind of the the first big reveal uh, of uh, of the episode. There were a couple of little smaller things that we also got too, as we start to see Monica come into her powers and her eventually becoming Photon. That's that's just that is what is what is up. But that was that was that was pretty consequential episode with two to go before we wrap up this season of Wandavision. The people want to hear you talk, Ray. Go ahead. Talk. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. Um, 
I think, and I think, she, I think Monica would more, be more spectrum because you saw her powers were kind of to see the different spectrums of energy, and she's had both names. So I'm, so I'm splitting hairs. Um, I am still sold just as much as Tony has been sold that has been Agatha all along. That is Mephisto. My and I, my reasoning beyond the past to just be more pertinent to this episode was we go back to comic lore. Uh, Billy and Tommy were, were created from Mephisto's almost spirit, so to speak, right? Well, Agatha took Billy and Tommy, and at the end of the at the end of the episode, she's looking for her. She's looking for uh, Wanda is looking for the boys, and they're in the basement where all the bad sh- bad stuff is, right? I, I think Mephisto's trying to get his kids, get them back, and so either uh, Agatha is working for Mephisto. Or some some kind of way they're working together. Um, that's I'm still still I'm still sold on that. Nightmare still could be involved too, but I'm still sold on that. I'm also of the belief now that Pietro is actually Pietro. Um, and I think because when you when Agatha you saw the little monsters esque theme song when she showed that she was behind everything, you could see her controlling Pietro. But if you remember at the end of last episode, when Pietro said that you, your dead husband can't die twice, he across there. I think the spell that was on him wore off because at the end of the episode in the post credit scene, Monica's looking for uh, Wanda opens up looking for his sister to help her. So um, I, I know we got other stuff to talk about in this episode, but that's where I'm at in, in terms of this part of the show. Well, I mean, there isn't really much else to talk about, honestly. There were some cool things that happened. It was really interesting. I mean, in general, of what you're trying to figure out, Dave, I get there's other stuff to talk about and hit on, but the main thing you want to know right now is who is behind all of this, right? Now, granted, sure. the interaction between Darcy Lewis and Vision is excellent mm-hmm. with the where they steal the, the, what was it, the popcorn truck or whatever, and then they it's get a, stuck. It's like a fried dough truck. Now, I want to know what Dave has to think here. He was shaking his head before. He seemed displeased with a few things, maybe confused with what I was saying. But I'm always interested to hear what your what your uh, take is on, on the latest edition of WandaVision, Dave. I don't think it's Nightmare anymore. I, I'm more and more and more convinced that it's not Nightmare. It's, it's probably Mephisto. I, it's, it, I, I think part of the key, I know we were talking about it in the chat yesterday, like Ray and I were talking about it, that Nexus commercial is the big key to everything. And that's, I, I think this is all multiversal at this point in time. The Nexus is, you know, Ray posted a good explanation of what the Nexus is. It, it is kind of the convergence point of multiple realities. And and that seems to be sort of what's going on here right now is that you've got a lot of different realities merging together. I, I, I agree. I don't think Pietro is Mephisto. I don't believe... I, I think he's a different version of Pietro that has been pulled in from a different, you know, multiverse. Agatha Harkness is fascinating to me because like when Ray and I have been talking, we've all been talking about it in the, in the chat behind, you know, breaking down the fourth wall, which wasn't that the title of this episode was breaking the, that fourth was wall? the title. Yeah. Well, that was, that yeah. was just the, I mean, that was uh, just a modern family. That was the continuation of picking. That's what they do on modern family. Okay. That's exactly what the whole thing was. Modern family. Right. That's you go watch modern family. You see Phil and, and all of them sitting on the couch. Jay. Yeah. It's funny. To- it's funny. You mentioned that I, it's a conglomerate. It's actually a conglomeration in my opinion of the modern family in the office shows. Yeah. 
because office I felt intro. Like Wanda. Well, yeah, the office intro, but I really felt like Wanda, and I, I've never watched Wanda um, Modern Family. I've never seen an episode, but Wanda seemed to be very much doing kind of the mom role from Modern Family. Julie, mm-hmm. Julie yeah. And I felt like Vision was Jim from the office like just the way like things would happen and he would look at the camera all deadpan mm-hmm. the way that um jim would but, do that in an episode of the office i thought it was hilarious but way, no but in the way that 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 wanda was claire vision was phil dunphy and it's the same okay. thing they do on my i'm just i'm just telling you because that that makes more sense they're yeah, the connections were both there like it's easy to see like and that's that's current comedy like you that's become a pattern sitcom thing that's quite popular like you know you've got modern family you've got the office parks and recreation did it that's that's been a that's been a device that that's worked that documentary style what we do in the shadows that i always talk about here same sort of deal is it's a documentary crew following vampires which by the way gentlemen you still need to watch that if you haven't watched it yet it's it's yeah, a it's yeah, a double we know it's a double-edged sword that those comedies have taken up, right? The cold open and on fucking audience. But yeah, I loved it. Anyway, Dave, so continue. Well, I just think, like, from my standpoint, the um, Agatha Harkness thing as to which, which, you know, where is she in her chronology and her history and her timeline, you know, as to which variation. Because Agatha starts off as a fantastic four like a nanny for franklin richards in the comics and then becomes wanda's mentor she teaches wanda about witchcraft and that sort of thing and, and obviously we're not there we're way beyond that we're we're agatha is more of a an antagonist to want or at least that's what it seems like right now we don't more know of, like clearly laid out that she's an antagonist and antagonist now whether she's a willing antagonist that's that i think could be an interesting right and question we, and we don't know but she seemed to take joy in that little intro yeah by I, the way like you're not the only fun. witch you're not the only witch here uh i i i love the episode i mean you got two episodes to go and i, I mean we go i don't i don't want to monopolize the conversation because i know we've ray and i and i think both all of us Too have late. a theory as oh, to where yeah. I think we all have a theory as to where we're going at this point in time and how this ends up, but I don't, you know, so something that does, what, what doesn't add up here though, to me, it's the fact that if Agnes is in control, who has led Wanda to build the hex and push the hex and who's powering Wanda to significantly not be able to control things farther away from that central point where she is. No, am I, I not making sense? No, you, you do. But I don't I don't think I don't think Agatha I, I thought Agnes was there from the beginning to watch over Wanda, and I think she's only allowed them to know who she is because Wanda's gone off the plan of whoever is in charge of Agnes. I mean, I think Wanda created the hex, and it's pretty evident that she kind of alludes to the fact that she created it, and Agatha slash Agnes, whatever you want to call her, has infiltrated into this reality somehow some way i'm not sure how she got there she's a participant in the manipulation of that that's what i think she's there as a as a forerunner for whoever's doing all of this to make sure everything's going okay because it's like it's like someone used um inception on wanda to get her to go and steal the body and create this place where she could go back to what she wanted right somebody's doing that to her so here's the real here's the here's another question I think that's 
important to, to speak about. Could they, you know, MCU often takes a, takes a few liberties with characters and either puts two characters together or changes the motivation of a character or whatever. Could Mephisto and Nightmare be put together simultaneously? Because I think about the Nexus thing, and if we're thinking of Nexus, Nexus and multiverses, and we know the Doctor Strange movie I'm is coming. I'm afraid up. I've got some bad news. <laughs> oh, yes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we are one. I've got some bad news. Well done. Uh, since the, the whole Nexus thing really... Okay, I was ready for the dropping in. Really made me think. <laughs> He's um, a, uh, I've got some bad news. Thank you, Mr. Barrett. Uh, but I'm just wondering. Um, we know that there is either a split in the multiverse or an opening up of the multiverse or a manipulation of the multiverse. And we're thinking that Mephisto, because of the shards that end up becoming Billy Tommy, but we know that there is going to be Nightmare, a form of him, in the Doctor Strange movie. Could they be together? And this is his way using the hex to get into this reality. Because Wanda doesn't know her powers as a sorcerer. Night Fisto. Night Fisto, let's go. <laughs> okay. so, so can I ask something really stupid being like the most novice Marvel no, person here? So we got the Pietro who was basically a part of the X-Men kind of umbrella, right? Sure. Right. Is originally, he was actually originally an Avenger, like, but he's always right. been a mute. Is there anybody from X-Men that could be infiltrating the Marvel Universe doing this? Or my other thing was to Ray, and Ray kind of shot me down, was is Pietro maybe Mephisto? So to, to, well, let me answer, the, let me, let me answer the, the Pietro question first. Before, last, before this last episode, I think that you can say there's a chance. But you very clearly see Agatha controlling him when he comes up to the door. So if it was Mephisto, in any form of fashion, Mephisto is the devil, essentially. Mephisto would not be working for a witch. The witch would be working for Mephisto. So with, with her con physically controlling him and having him say the things that he's saying makes me believe that they, he, he can't, he's not Mephisto in any form of fashion. Because she wouldn't have been controlling him then. But could he have come and taken over Pietro after he got blasted into the hay? And now as he shows up snooping around and catches, who is it, Darcy Lewis, right? He was, no, he catches no, uh, Monica. Monica. Oh, Monica, that's right. I, my bad. There's, there's always a chance, but that seems to be really unlikely, I think, at this point. That he would oh, embed okay. himself in somebody after that. How about the other that? one, though? How about someone from the from X Men realm infiltrating and kind of combining these two different? No, Dave's like no, no. no. Ma Magneto's the, only... the, Magneto's the only one that would make sense, right? Magneto's the only one that makes sense, but it doesn't make sense for his power set. Like Magneto doesn't really possess people like that. That's more of a Shadow King sort of thing, um, which Ray and I talked about in our sort of debate as to who Keanu Reeves could ever play as a bad guy in the MCU. And I, I yeah, I don't know about I don't know. Maybe Emma Frost, if you were if you were looking at a bad guy, because it would have to be a psychic. It would have to be a psychic of some sort to to be involved to that kind of level. There's not a lot of sort of possession based characters that don't have some sort of psychic ability to them out of the X Men other pantheon. Than, I think, other than Jean Grey, and they're not going down that path yet. 
I mean, no, it's, but it's I mean, Xavier. it's inevitable before we get like our ninth Phoenix Saga movie. Um, so my last, my last one, my last sure. one, because I had those, I had one, I had three questions on it. I wanted you guys to answer them for me. Is is there anybody that didn't die that was helping Thanos that got left behind and out of the picture that is could possibly still be around? No, uh, none of the Loki. Evil Loki, yeah, that's about it. Oh, yeah. And he has a show coming, so who knows? But I don't know that that he that he's going to be the connection. I think it's speaking, I think it's tough. I think. I'm sorry, real quick. Speaking of the show, I believe that the Time Variance Association, the TVA, are in are in control of watching the Nexuses, so right. there is a connection there. Yes, that's like the the Heath Slater slash uh, Ryback part of the Nexus controlling. Wait. Yeah, I did that. I've gone. That's too rough. Why that's would too you wrestling. even go there, Patrick? God, because I can. Because I am the host, and I kick this off. All of the power is mine. Yeah, but I got wow. I got the post credit editing stuff, so I never mind. I'm that's true. <laughs> so, yes, the power. Yeah, of mine. Let me run something by you though, if I could. Okay. There's some someday I'll get to ask some questions. No, myself, no, I know. I just I want to throw no, this no, out there. There's a theory <laughs> that um. I don't know. What's the guy, the guy outside the hex, the prick who's trying to infiltrate and, and wipe out Harrington or something like that? Isn't that his name? Yeah, Holy something like that. Harrington something. Yes. There is a theory going around that I've heard in multiple places that that could be Ultron. Do you guys think that's Maybe. possible? Who, the FBI guy? Yes. Sword. Sword. No, you're thinking of... Um... You're thinking of uh, the the good guy, oh, no, no, the sword Wu, guy that Wu. is obsessed with bringing um, bringing Vision back as part of that Project Cataract thing. At least that's what they think or speculated. Did you find the name, Ray? Tyler Hayward. Tyler Hayward. So he, I don't think he's anything special other than a non-meta human who reacted to the trauma of the blip in a way that was obsessed with controlling and maintaining dominance over supers through the arm of sword. I think he's that kind of metaphor. I don't think he is something special. The thing about this show and what I wanted to get into is the level of red herrings and various directions that they're trying to cast people and the things that they're trying to get them to think about and concern themselves with is just next level sort of stuff. Like, I compare this to the amount like we we've reviewed so many shows in in doing all of this and the Mandalorian we didn't speculate this much on whoop de doo what does it all mean with the Mandalorian we didn't speculate this much over the Witcher we didn't speculate over well Lock and Key I think we did a little bit like I think Lock and Key was one of those that lends itself to what are what are people really after but because of our familiarity with the content and, and this fan base, because of its passion around the content, I think they're all very interested in everything you see. That's why you have people speculating on the book on Agatha's in Agatha's basement being the missing book from the Sanctum Sanctorum that was being guarded by the Ancient One. But nobody knows what that book is. It could be the ne Necronomicon, which was in Pizet Agatha Harkness, had that book for a while. Um, I'm forgetting the name of the other book. It was mentioned could in Agents. It be the Darkhold? Darkhold. Darkhold. The Darkhold, thank you. Yeah, is the other book that, that people have considered. And it's what, what I think this show is very clever about doing is having people, like, I talked a couple of weeks ago 
about thinking that the dog, Sparky, was fucking Mephisto. Like, I was like, the dog might be Mephisto. And now I see people speculating on the rabbit that the boys are petting. Could the rabbit be something? So the show is really, really good at getting you to speculate about all the time. Herb as the high evolutionary is a theory I've seen because of the name and that being a possibility. So I don't honestly, I don't think we know. I think I think we're going to sit here on episode nine when we bring Platt in because he was really into the show and I wanted him to, to join us for the finale. I think we're all going to be like, oh, it all makes sense now. And maybe some stuff will be cons- confirmed, but I think I think things will make sense. It'll, it'll definitely make sense. But my only the only thing that I want to I want to kind of, I guess finish up with. I, I know that Marvel likes to kind of always have this connective storytelling that leads on to bigger things, and so they'll throw a little morsel at you, and then a year from now you'll see it manifest into something bigger or stuff like that. But I don't I can't see with a guaranteed two episodes and possibly a third them to throw so much major stuff that can have huge ramifications in the future just into this when you already have the story of whatever the fight is for Wanda with as many as possibly six people, with the Project Cataract coming up, with the possibility of Doctor Strange coming, with uh, Darcy and Jimmy trying to get the hex down. I can't see them throwing in all these extra people, Reed Richards or, uh, right. you know, or um, uh, what, whatever else you could, uh, Ultron, which would be cool because Hayward is obsessed with getting vision. I, like, I can't see them throwing those in randomly now and two or three episodes when we're moving on to so much more stuff. I don't, I don't know. I think that, um, Marvel is really, really good at calling attention to various, various things. I think you've nailed it on the head. There may be some hints of things that are coming before we get away from this. and, And, you know, I just, for me, I'm now officially just along for the ride for the finish of this shit and kind of just want to react to it as it plays out. I would be remiss if I didn't say that I didn't die laughing when Agnes says that she bit a kid once as one of her like little things. They're like, who would bite a kid? And then they cut away. I bit a kid once. That should have been your your clue. The actions of Patrick O'Dowd do not necessarily reflect anything condoned or authorized by the bandwagon. Or Dave, the are you telling me you didn't find that line funny because you're full oh, of shit if you I did. I find it funnier. I find it funnier that you bit a kid. That's what I find funny. (laughs) I actually did bite a kid once. (laughs) Good stuff. I loved it. It was hilarious. And it was one of those great, like that was actually like you talked about modern family and the office and those sorts of, like they nailed that, that look and that feel. Happy Happy endings was the other television show. That was, it was all three of those. Very, very nice. So, I, I I look forward to finding out because I don't think Pietro is really Pietro. I think that we'll find out who Pietro really is. I think that we'll find out that there is a higher power that is telling Agatha what to do. But I think it's going to be Thanos style. And that's, I guess, my last theory is I think it might be a post credits reveal where Agatha fails. And then we learn about her after or we learn about who's really pulling the strings. a la the end of the Avengers 
where we didn't actually see Thanos until after the credits of the Avengers. So Agatha fails. She's the Loki. And then whoever the true big bad is, that's who we learn at the end of episode nine of season one. I, I still think like what we talked about in the chat yesterday, I think that episode nine will end as a direct lead into Dr. Strange two. That's where it's going to end up where nothing's going to be resolved. They're going to be like, go watch the movie and then figure out how it gets resolved. They'll introduce elements. I think Dr. Strange certainly shows up. They, they will set the table. I mean, you, Pat, you raise a great point. What makes this show so excellent is that unlike Mandalorian, Lock and Key, The Boys, Witch, or any of the other shows we've reviewed, the lore behind the Marvel Universe is so deep and involved that it just sucks you in because, yeah, there's so many theories. Well, they could be doing this, and they could be doing that. And as we saw with the whole MCU, they just take elements that they like and they kind of blend them together to make their own story. You know, Thanos never flies around in a helicopter in the MCU, thankfully. But they use... They, and they, <laughs> okay, we don't have to get into that yet. You, you set yourself up for that. But they use the Infinity Gauntlet. They, they use the gauntlet, the physical piece of the gauntlet, and then created their own awesome story around it. And... Yeah. That's right. kind of feels like what they're doing here. They're taking and, and you're absolutely right. There's a lot of red herrings. There's a lot of misdirection. They want you over here when they're really over here. And that's what makes the show so tremendous is that you only have a, a rudimentary understanding of what they're doing. But in the end, at the end, the end game, you know, no pun intended, could be something completely different. And I just really think this is all just a lead in into Doctor Strange 2, an extended backstory. Right. All right. So I think that's where we're going to call it for today. Two episodes to go. You heard me drop it. Hopefully he remembers. But when we do episode nine, we are going to bring on Chris Platt, who argues that uh, Doctor Strange is a libertarian on a previous episode of Chair Shot Radio and cracked me up. But uh, he, uh, he's he been really watching the show and following along, and I asked him if he'd want to join us to talk about the season season finale. Maybe series finale. I'm not sure if, it, if it'll come back for a second go-around. I don't see how it could based on the storytelling they're doing. But more to come. I'm very excited, and I, I think we should go to the trailer park. What do you think, fellas? Sadly, we are not talking about the old school Mortal Kombat, but we did indeed get a trailer drop for the upcoming Mortal Kombat reboot. And I got to tell you, Ray, I love the addition of you to this show. So story time, kids, pulling back the curtain. I'm looking at our rundown. I'm following the conversation that the four of us are having about building our lists, right, for this show, this episode. And I'm like, okay, these guys are talking about 
15, 20, 25, 7,000 honorable mentions. How are they going to get it to all? I'm like, I got to minimize this agenda. So I I take a look and I'm like, you know what? Let's just talk WandaVision and, and we'll talk WandaVision. We'll do the list and that's going to be it. And so I share I share it out while Dave and I are recording Chair Shot Radio. And all of a sudden I get in the chat. We're not going to talk about Mortal Kombat? But the, but the trailer dropped. And, and Ray, your dedication to our craft here on the bandwagon and, and your 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 uh, desire to make sure that we cover everything in the nerdosphere, it's impressive. So I'm actually going to hand this over to you for those of you, because I'm assuming you've seen the trailer. I don't know if everybody around this panel has. I've watched it twice. Uh, Tony has watched it, and apparently Dave has as well. Ray, I'm going to give you first crack at your thoughts on the Mortal Kombat trailer that will be dropping uh, in March on HBO Max and in theaters everywhere. So Mortal Kombat had kind of a Marvel-esque chip on their shoulder in that they, people waited for this trailer for so long that it had to wow, right? Because we've known this movie is going to be made for so long. And it's coming out in two months, and we hadn't seen anything. So the trailer had to wow us, and it did that. Um, I think, um, you know, we veered a, a bit from the original, like in 94, 95, the original guys, and the trailer. Y'all can hear me, right? Yeah. Keep going. In the, in the trailer... Uh, uh, um, you uh, know, uh, he asked the question and he throws up. Uh, things are different. There's no Danny Cage. Can you All hear right. me? There's no Johnny Cage, not Danny Cage. But um, yes, we we we, we think we through. Yeah, we can hear you. Do you want me to start over? No, keep going. This isn't one division. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> In fact, hold on a second. Um, but the- they like that. They're not gonna. They're not gonna laugh. But. Laugh, damn it. Damn it, laugh. Laugh, studio audience, laugh. It right. was Agatha all along. But there's, you know, there's no Johnny Cage. We're building around this guy, Cole Young, who he could be somebody else, but we don't know. Kano's one of the good guys until he inevitably screws over Sonya. You see how Jax loses his arms. I think it's a really cool thing, but most importantly, and I think they're finally showing it in a way that the movie, the old movies never did. The entire story of Mortal Kombat we've always thought was about Liu Kang and Raiden trying to stop Outworld and Shao Kong. No, man. It's about Scorpion and Sub-Zero and the Lin Kuei and the two battles between those two um, clans, right? And I I appreciate that they finally showed that and Sub-Zero's actually the villain in this one and and Scorpion is almost a sense of an anti-hero. Beautiful trailer. Is as it is as gory as the games were, which I think a lot of us adults wanted to see. Um, really interesting. Uh, I'm really curious to see what other characters pop up because you saw little hints of people for a second, like Cabal is in there for a second fighting Liu Kang, Reptile's in there for a second fighting Kano. So I'm curious to see how many characters they use, where they go with it. But uh, I, I love the trailer, fantastic, and most importantly. They, they ain't got white folks trying to pretend like they're Asians. That's the most important part. You mean right? you it's didn't actually look Christopher a, Lambert pretending to be an ancient Japanese thunder god? 
I could accept all the other stuff, but that no. I yeah, I hated rating in those old movies. Um, okay, I'm just gonna get this out of the way because this is so typical Patrick O'Dowd. I think that movie looks terrible. I think that trailer looks terrible. I think it looks god awful, and I'm going to be very sad. <laughs> I'm going to Ray's, be very Ray's sad. Done. When, He's gone. <laughs> when, you, when you all force me to watch this movie. Patrick uh, the wet blanket O'Dowd. <laughs> Is uh, I think it's what they I, it's what they don't pay me for on this podcast. Wait, I'm sorry, you're getting Ray. paid. Like, and I'll be honest, part of it is that I have very little connection to the video game itself. Like, I don't, I don't, That's I've never fine. really liked the video games. I was a Street Fighter guy, um, and actually, I was a Marvel versus Capcom guy. If we're really going to get down to the fighting game of choice, so. That's all. I I think it looks terrible. I thought the special effects looked cheesy. I thought the scorpion delivery of "Get Over Here" was awful. Um, Sub Zero looked cool. That's about all I. That's about all I got. Uh, and, that, why, and that's it. What was what was the scorpion delivery of, of "Get Over Here" awful when it's an Asian guy saying it? It has nothing to do with him being Asian. It has everything to do with the line being delivered very very poorly. Okay. Get over here. I thought that was the best part Get of the trailer. Over yeah. here. No, that's because you're a mark for the show and you're a mark for the game. So when you hear the famous line, you're like, he said the line. It's like any Star Wars fan, when they hear May the Force be with you, it doesn't matter who says it. We all love it. I like, just do. And that's okay. You you could love Mortal Kombat. Sure. I don't think that's it, but I don't want to take other people's time. I but yeah, because that we're gonna be splitting hairs. But no, please continue, everybody else. Yeah, Dave, Dave or Tony, feel free. Tony's got nothing. I, I'm kind of. How do I Come put on, this? Dave, say it. I, I, say I've it. never really been a fan of the Mortal Kombat franchise. I mean, I like the original game. Yeah. Sorry, Ray. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, 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 I think Come the. On. I mean, say I'm it. willing to give the movie a chance because the trailer looks interesting from the fighting standpoint. I just. But, don't, I don't know how you create a compelling movie around that. Setup is what I'm saying. Yeah, see the studio audience, they get it, they agree with you. <laughs> did you see? Did you see the for the original Mortal Kombat movie? Uh, no, I avoided that, that one like the play. Oh, there you boy. go. Not as bad so, as the sequel though. The sequel was worse. Yeah, but I mean, they know the sequel was weird animality things and stuff just, like, which I know was a part of the game, but the way they made it like central to the end of Mortal Kombat Two, that was so bad. Is, Difficult deny to that turn the premise of that game into into a movie that's going to work. That's just my no, thoughts on that's it. That's not true because Enter the hey, Dragon Ray. is Enter the Dragon is Mortal Kombat. Like the Ray. movie Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee goes to a tournament, which is a tournament of death, to fight. Ray, I, I saw the first one in the movie theaters. I love the video game. I thoroughly enjoyed the first one and am very much so looking forward to the newest rendition of Mortal Kombat. I think there's yeah, a tag team tag team right, match. Right. Pat and I against Ray and PC. Uh, uh, French vanilla, Rocky Road, chocolate, peanut butter, cookie dough. Boop, there it is. <sighs> it's it's so interesting to me though, because the entire premise of the game is essentially a movie. I'm not I don't agree with Dave that you can't make it into a movie. I think you absolutely can make it into a movie. I just think it looks like a terrible movie. Like that trailer did not make me go, oh, that's dope. Oh, like Goro looks horrible. Like he does. He looks he looks like 
it was not. He looks better than '95. Oh, that's for sure. It was '95. This is 30 years later, man. 30 years later, and this is what we got. I look forward to you sharing know, that on your top action movies of the '90s when we get to that. By the way, this one don't sit well with me, y'all. We we're gonna have, we're gonna have to speak about this in private. Ray, you want to talk well, Snyder Cut we, again? Is that what you want to talk about? Uh, Folks, I think it's about time for a quick commercial break so that we can get into the 90s project. Before we switch to our commercial break and play all our recorded commercials, it's my duty to remind you to head over to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash The Chair Shot and help support TheChairShot.com and The Chair Shot Radio Network by buying a shirt. Whether you buy a standard style shirt or if you're feeling fancy, spend a few bucks more and go soft style. We've got all kinds of great stuff out there. We've got Ray's favorite hashtag, hashtag journalism on a shirt. We've got hashtag safe tag team wrestling. Jesus did the job. We've got the OG Chair Shot logo. There is a bandwagon nerd shirt out there as well with our logo that is very supportive of us. And is, and I hope that you all take a look at that as well as a winner is you, the Friday video game podcast that drops uh, every Friday, give or take. And yeah, it's just a great way to keep our little network going. We're loving the response we get from all of you and the fans. And if you love what we're doing and you want to see us keep doing it, jump on over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and buy a shirt. As Christopher Platt would say, please and thank you. Thank you. And please, when we come back, we're going to do part three of the 90s project covering our top 10 dramas of all time. You're listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the Chairshot Radio Network as a part of thechairshot.com. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Go to powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Get your free month. Again, that's powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. Welcome to the 90s. Welcome to the 90s, Mr. Pong. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like it. You feel that, fellas? Here we go. It is time to jump into part three of the 90s project. And... We're covering dramas this week. Hardest list to make so far? Not for me. What? Not for you? No, no mine was last week. Yeah, with the family films? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Dave's nodding and he has a, has, a, has a frown. Dave, why was this tough for you? 
Well, Dave was an old man. That's why we know why the kids' movies no. weren't hard for Dave. He's, you know, well, 87. Yeah. Like, that, it's that just part. tough. That, that's true. But These Dra- damn kids in their Sandlot movies. Get off my fucking lawn, you little shits. <laughs> now that's my line. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, I thought that this list was Old hard. Ma- angry man yells at cloud. This list was hard because there's, as you went through the list and, and you, like, kind of put it out before you and then you start cutting things down, it's like, I'm looking at it thinking, okay, this one's got, is this really a drama? Can, can, and you start thinking about this stuff. Okay. What, what are, like Tony was asking yesterday, what other categories are left? And I started thinking, okay, can I slide this into a different top 10 and preserve this drama list? And you start looking and saying, okay, is this really a drama? Is this really that? Is this really this? And, you know, you just kind of get to that point where it, it was so hard to kind of get around all this stuff and figure out, okay, is this really, this sort of list or, or how am I going to do this? And and so it was just hard because there's so many of them that cross over into various different things that saying, is this really drama? Can I push this off somewhere else? That sort of thing. I think comedies will be equally difficult, but this one was, was tough. Ray, what about you? I know you had 20 bajillion honorable mentions. I saw your list and I saw that you had asterisked the ones that were in the cut that you were trying to narrow it down yeah. and, and that was still more than 10. So what, what was this like for you building this? List? It was, it was, it was very difficult for me because, uh, because your internet froze again. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah. Now we can. Yes. Now we can hear hey, you. Okay. So we're good now. We're good so now. everybody knows um, Ray, Ray is in Houston where there is a lot of things going on. So just for Ray to be here today is fantastic. That Ray, is a huge deal. I'm hey. going to troubleshoot this for you. Turn your camera off, and I bet we'll have no more delays. But but can, can I comment on one thing about Ray? Because this is how awesome so, Ray is. Texas uh, is frozen that over. ugly-ass Ravens banner in no, the background. Texas is frozen over. Oh, Ray's see, I'm not turning off now, just because you said that. Ray's um, wearing a tank top. <laughs> uh, but no, um, um, the... Yes, it was. This was difficult for me for two quick, two really simple reasons. Number one, I was a child in the '90s, so a lot of these films didn't resonate with me until I got older. Um, and then I, I want to make sure that I am, am a, I, I, I'm resonating between critical acclaim and personal enjoyment. I'm trying to resonate between will I pick something that'll make you guys laugh at me for enjoying something that I, you know, is from a different perspective than you guys may see it because you're older. So yeah, it was a little difficult for me. So I, I went through and picked every drama that I thought was big or important. Then I had to filter it down. So, but I'm I'm comfortable with my list. Us judgmental. Did Fern Gully no. make the list? Okay, I'm going to take the silence as no, or we lost Ray. Fern Gully's number one, sir. Fern Gully is number one. Okay, okay, excellent. So, spoiler Always. alert, everybody. Always. Fern Gully will be on this week's Bandwagon Nerds '90s Project poll as one of the potential best dramas of the '90s. You guys talked about things that you tried to do to kind of get around the the, the, the quote unquote the system on the list. The and draconian there was rules, a couple things Patrick. I did too. I, I left some notable movies off that I knew were on your list. And I did that because one, I, I agree. Like I, a lot of these movies resonated um, with me personally and I, I love them very much and everything on my list. I, I would stand by. But by the same token, we're going to talk about like a ton. He's got a, a film on his list. I know we're going to talk about it as one of these great movies or great dramas of the nineties. And so I felt okay leaving that off in order to frankly talk about a few more movies. 
And so I, uh, I did that. I too did the, this could be an action movie. The reality about all of this is no, very few movies are distinctly one type of film like really good films are more than just one type of film. Like there's a reason that dramedy exists as a, exists as a mishmash of words. Action comedies are a thing like, and you can see that all over the place, whether it's like um, Beverly Hills cop, I'll go in the eighties. Beverly Hills cop is as much of an action film as it is a comedy. Uh, Cause there's a, there, you know, it ends in a big gunfight and things like that. So, I did a little bit of both, uh, and hopefully that leads to just a lot of fun, full discussion. So we're going to get right to it. As a reminder, if uh, somebody has an item on their list that's higher up, make sure that we note that so that we cover it at the highest possible point on everybody's list. We once again have shifted the order, so Dave now is the last bringing up the rear of the order, and we are kicking it off with Ray Cash, then Patrick O'Dowd, PC Tunney, and David Ungar. And with that, we'll turn it over to you, Ray Cash, for your first, your number 10, in your top 10 dramas of the 1990s. I'm going to be quick about number 10 because I don't particularly think it's a fantastic movie, but I think it's one of the most important movies ever made. And so my number 10 is Titanic. I am not a fan of the movie, hugely. But I, much like with my perspective as a wrestling fan, you're not the highest grossing movie for 23 years and you don't get some semblance of respect. It was also at the time the, the biggest, it had the uh, was the most expensive movie ever made at the time. We don't have to go over it. Basically, we all know the in real life the Titanic was crashed. Uh, this old lady reformed her love affair well, she fell in love with this vagabond kid and gave, gave it to him, gave him the box real early and then, like, felt was in love with him for the rest of her life. Uh, the movie, whatever. But I just think the importance of what that movie was, I think, is too important to not at least mention it in these lists. So Titanic is my number 10. I'll give you a fun anecdote to that movie. When it came out on video, I worked at Blockbuster at the time. Midnight release. Lines out the door. End of the story. There you go. You don't have to there apologize for Titanic, yeah. Ray. That it's Titanic's like Dave, you're t- muted, pal. You are you are saying all kinds of great stuff, I'm sure. No, there you go. I'm not saying anything great. It was all bullshit. But no, I was <laughs> I was saying that uh Ray, you don't have to apologize for Titanic, man. That that movie that movie is good because it's like two movies in one and it's one of these crossover ones. The first half of the movie, drama, for sure. The second half bleeds over into action and adventure more than drama, but it, it, it is, it's got, you know, cliched over the years and it's gotten, you know, a bit of a bad rap just because of, you know, certain things. I mean, I, I, people debate, you know, fucking Rose, she should have let him get on the fucking raft with her. There was enough room for that. Stop, you know, stop nitpicking that whole scenario because that's what added the drama to it. So yeah, you don't have to apologize for Titanic, Ray. It was on my cut list. The fact that it made and held that record monetarily for so long makes it unbelievably important. And the fact that I'm the king of the world is one of the most repeated movie lines in the history of movies. It, it gives it two things to make it an iconic movie, and along with the actors that played in it. 
I honestly, to tell you the truth, have never seen the movie from beginning to end. It is also the first movie I ever saw boobs on screen. Oh, oh. Yeah, we don't, we, oh. you know, Kate Winslet. I mean, hey, anyway, onward, huh? where's, where's that? Where's that soundbite of Jim Brewer from Half-Baked? Now that's a titty. <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for the record, she could have fit on, he could have fit on the fucking door. Yeah. See? My, exactly. Uh, see that? I love it. Great that man. bitch. By the way, my, uh, I, I saw that movie in the theater uh, because I was actually looking after a friend's child uh, and she had seen it like three times already and wanted to see it again. So I got paid to go see Titanic in the theater. That's my that's my Titanic story. That's a win win. Heart baby. breaks when the old couple holds hands and the water goes over them, by the way. My number my number 10, I know is not on anybody's list and I couldn't leave it off because it is one of my five all-time favorite films ever. Uh, it is a movie called Simon Birch. It is based on a, a novella uh, called, I think it's called something like A Prayer for Owen Meany or something like that. Has uh, stars Oliver Platt, stars Ashley Judd, has um, the young boy who plays Tim in Jurassic Park, uh, has narration and voiceover work done by Jim Carrey. I have, um, there are many, many movies out there that can get me to cry. I've never had a movie make me cry at multiple points in a movie for different reasons. And this story is fascinating to me, or is is really good to me because it's a retelling of The Scarlet Letter. uh, But it's done through the perspective of a 1950s town that is very deeply religious and the main character is this little boy who doesn't know who his father is. His mom met somebody on a train. They had a one night stand and he is, he is the result. And his best friend is this boy, Simon Birch, who is born with a small heart is undersized, but he believes that he has a higher purpose in life and his faith and I'm not a religious guy, but his like faith in God, he believes that God has put him on earth for a reason. And the two of them make it their decision to try and figure out who his father is, who the main character's father is. And it's told really, really, really well. It's a beautiful movie. I saw it for the first time kind of by accident. My uh, family was really close with a guy who owned a local video store, and he would let us borrow screeners every once in a while before movies would come to the video store. So I actually borrowed this screener and watched it at my house and by myself one night after everybody had gone to bed. And it was just – it was amazing. It's funny. It's sweet. It made me cry like a baby on more than one occasion. It is so, so good. And uh, it's one of my five all-time favorite movies. And so I couldn't leave it off of a drama list, even if it's one that wasn't a big box office film. So, Tony, it's it's to you and, and your number 10. My number 10 is Cruel Intentions. Uh, very interesting cast. Uh, what do we got? Sarah Michelle Gellar, Reese Witherspoon, Ryan Phillippe, Selma Blair, Joshua Jackson. A very who's who of the up-and-coming uh, 20-ish year, 20s actors at the time. Really interesting story of uh, rich family and betrayal and deceit and drugs and sex and 
I don't know. It was just a really interesting movie. I remember watching it and being, you know, in my late teens, like, oh, this movie is the shit. You know, it's exactly what you want to watch at that time. So I, I haven't seen it as I've gotten older. So I wonder if it still holds up as in now that I know more about the world. But uh, from what I remember, from what I remember, it was a pretty damn good movie. I have to check that one out. I don't remember seeing that. But uh, You've never seen Attention? Wow, yeah, you I need to watch know. that. Maybe I have. Sarah I'm Michelle watching. Geller and Selma Blair Kiss. That's all you need to know. Okay. You and your, you and your, watch it with you. Just you and your wife watch it. Okay. And then, you know, have nobody else around. So after you're, you're done watching it. I will, I will take your advice on that one, DC. I trust your opinion. Um, <laughs> my number 10 is there were two Tom Cruise courtroom lawyer movies that I considered. This is the one that made the list. It's a few good men. It's, you know, it's one of the any higher on anybody's list. No. Okay. So, I mean, it's my first first honorable mention. There you go. And it it is, it is, you know, the other one I was thinking about was the firm, which is really good as well, but this one's the better of the two. Um, Jack Nicholson's portrayal of, uh, God damn it. What, what was the, what was his name? I forget. I don't know what he was, but he's got, of course, the most, one of the most iconic lines in cinema history where you can't handle the truth. Uh, Tom Cruise is fantastic in this movie where he just becomes he comes into his own as a, a, you know, a lawyer for the military, you know, and and it's it's so good because the story just evolves. It's almost like a drama mystery as well, because you're trying to figure out, okay what exactly happened with this whole situation? Um, Kiefer Sutherland's in this. I mean, the cast is phenomenal. Demi Moore is fantastic. Kevin Pollock's in uh, this thing. Kevin Pollock, yeah. Hey, Kevin Bacon? Not, not, Kevin Bacon, yeah. Kevin Bacon is fantastic. I, maybe Footloose is the new Marvel character that's behind all of it. Anyway, let's there get back go. to the night. That's, that's <laughs> got to be it. It's Ren McCormick. That's who's fucking pulling all the strings, man. Right. So, One of the most cool movies of all time, too, by the way. Um, not Footloose, A Few Good Men. Like, who, hasn't, who, hasn't sh- who hasn't shouted out... Um, you know, you can't handle the truth. It, it is. And it's in the, in the courtroom stuff from a lawyer standpoint is really well done. I mean, and we still I mean, lawyers, we quote this shit in court to judges as a joke, you know, where somebody objects to something and, and they say, I strenuously object. Oh, strenuously object. Oh, OK. That makes a difference. No, no, I object. Overruled. No, I strenuously object. Oh, well, that makes it is a lawyer's thing where we rag on each other for this kind of shit. It, it just and it's it's just such a great movie. So it's number ten on my uh, my number nine is one that my wife when I read her the list this morning she says I can't believe that's not higher on your list. I said I love the movie, but when you see what's ahead of it, which is what made this drama list so difficult, you understand. My number nine is the Usual Suspects. And great movie. I mean, yep. Kaiser Sose. That's all you have to say about the fucking Usual Suspect. The twist at the end of this movie is one of the best done twists that they that i've ever seen done because they really mm-hmm. you don't see it coming you don't see virgil kent being fucking kaiser Sose at the end of this whole thing and it, it's just it's so well done that when it all comes together at the end and you start watching chad palmentary piece together what he fucking did in the interrogation room taking bits and pieces of shit that's on the wall and crafting this story around it to throw him off I mean, you know, Gabriel Byrne was so good in this fucking movie. And, and I mean, and it is, you know, there's there's lawyer. I mean, maybe it's just the lawyer in me gets tied in with all this shit. Go figure. But I 
absolutely adore this movie. The first time I saw it, I, you know, I was, you know, I just like, wow, what the hell is going on? You have to watch it a few times. It is utterly fantastic. If you have not seen The Usual Suspects, one of the best twists in movie history at the end of this thing. Love this movie. It's number nine for me. Yeah, that, that to me, move, that movie is very much about the twist, uh, very much about the storytelling. It's a very, very good fil- flick. And, and again, I think we'll hear a, a similar film on somebody else's list at some point that uh, that uh, that makes it that you just you just kind of question. It's just so hard. This was t- this was tough to do. So right on, Tony, your number nine. <clears throat> My number nine uh, also hit me at a time when. It started playing a lot of poker. Uh, my, number, doing? my number nine is Rounders. I absolutely yeah. adore that movie. I've seen it so many times. The performance in there Check. are great. Check. Yeah. Like, like a young man coming in for a quickie. Uh, so unsatisfied. But I, I love that movie. I, it, I remember sitting there in the movie theater watching it, and the movie's over, and I'm like, there has to be more. I, that was too fun. I want, I want more. Is there more? I want to go to Vegas with him and see how he does. Uh, but Matt Damon, Ed Norton, who had a phenomenal 90s career, uh, Martin Landau's in that movie, John Turturro, Gretchen Moll, and John Malkovich's performance, I think, is is just excellent. And very much right. excellent. I, I think it's a movie, if you are if you play cards, you can watch that movie once a year and, and really enjoy it. So that's my number nine. Is do, you, do you splash the pot when you play poker? Uh, I try not to, unless I'm trying to be disrespectful. There you go. But if it's your house, you can splash the pot whenever the fuck you want. What's up, Grandma? You rolling fags in the village again? There you go. There you go. My uh, cigarettes. My number cigarettes, nine. Tony. Clarify cigarette. Right. It's just a line from a movie. It's not my it is, right? <laughs> the views of PC Tony do not reflect the views of bandwagon nerds, so on and so forth. He, he doesn't smoke. Um, anyway. I just was, I was making the cigarette connection. Why? Like, I was right there. My number. Trying to save me. Save me. I don't need saving. I'm good. My, my number nine is a courtroom drama as well. And it's one that we have, like we quote every now and again, like we've quoted on this show. Uh, and that's uh that's a time to kill. Uh, Cause people forget that there was a, there was a period where if the book was written by John Grisham, it was made into a movie. Just you name it, it was written. And I find this movie to be very, very important for the decade in the sense that there's, I was joking about this off air. There's a lot of movies that I have on my list that have to do with race and have to do with really Hollywood trying to reconcile and, and, put out movies like white directors trying to put out movies about race. And while there are a lot of parts of a time to kill that are horribly clumsy and poorly done, and it is a little bit of a white saviorism story with, with Matthew McConaughey's character. It's also, I think one of the most gripping movies that that was put out there out of the, the John Grisham collection of films and Samuel L. Jackson like we talk about like work that actors have done and we we've talked about, we'll talk about other actors. I'm sure as we go through this, but Samuel L. Jackson's work in this movie as uh, as Carly is amazing. It's just, it's nothing short of amazing. And 
you know, most people remember him, you know, for sort of that over the top character yelling motherfucker left and right. And he gives this monologue right towards the end of the movie where he talks to Matthew McConaughey and he explains that the reason he picked him as a white lawyer in Mississippi as the guy is because he's an enemy and he's an enemy that thinks of himself as an ally. And that I think is still very relevant today in white America. It's, you know, you look at the movie get out today, which is basically the same sort of concept that well-meaning white folk are, as dangerous if not more dangerous than somebody who's straight up racist because you can see that and you can spot that and you can say that's wrong but a well-meaning white person can do so much damage with without and think that they're helping and then won't hear that they're not so that's why i picked that movie i don't think it is by any means the best courtroom drama ever i do think that it it definitely has its holes and its flaws but um at the end of the day like it still is. I think it's still very relevant and real to today uh, and to the world we live in now. So that's my number nine. I think it's ironic that your number nine is that because my number nine is Malcolm X. Right. Um, again, I don't really want to have to spend a lot of time. Malcolm X and Titanic are period movies, right? So, like, you know what they're about. But uh, Malcolm X, I think, is one of the most important humans in the history of our country, whether if you agree with him or not, because he invoked so much change with who he was. And uh, I, this was this was like Denzel's opus. And I got a, a couple of Denzel movies. There, but like, this was the movie where he, you don't often see a person play a character and truly embody themselves into like, you can look at Denzel and be like, he's always Denzel, but like, he really embodied Malcolm X in this movie. Fun, oddly enough, it's actually on TV right now. I'm watching it right now. Um, but the man's story is so interesting. His dad was killed by the Black Legion. His mom uh, ended up going into a mental uh, asylum. He was he was ended up going to school to be a lawyer, but ended up being a thief and being put in jail. And then the story of him and Elijah Muhammad and the Nation of Islam, and then being almost ostracized and you know, knowing he's going to die, so I got to put my words down in this book. It's such a deep story that has so many layers that a lot of people who, if you don't know the story of Malcolm X or Malcolm Little, would think about. But again, just to tell the story, we will never get uh, Martin Luther King Jr., the movie, because Dr. King's story was not Malcolm X's. You know what I'm saying? So important story, important person, great performance. Um, and, you know, being a black dude growing up in the South and in, in, in the inner city, like I grew up, you see movies like this and it, especially at the period in which it came out, just makes you think, man, it just, it really puts things almost in perspective and, uh, and importance. And I appreciate that a movie of a militant black dude can be thought of as important in the populace. So that's my number nine. Um, and I go number eight unless you want to say something. It's something to watch that's out now that just came out. Good man. It's an excellent movie that I just saw that relates to Malcolm X, uh, along with Jim Brown and Sam Cooke and Muhammad Ali is One Night in Miami. I know Ray and I have talked about this before. 
it is a fucking phenomenal movie as well. Uh, just the story of Malcolm X being told at different times. Any any time you can jump in on that story is is excellent and just a piece of American history. So yeah, great pick, Ray. You know, you know, uh, a portrayal is influential, by the way, and I, I mean this with the utmost seriousness. When Mel Brooks thinks enough of it to then parody it, par- parody it in a movie later uh, with Dave Chappelle. Uh, in Robin Hood, Men of Tights, of all things, uh, and just the way that 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 when something like that happens, it, it becomes iconic, and it's not it's actually not Dave Chappelle making light of Malcolm X so much as it is honoring the work of Denzel Washington portraying mm-hmm. Malcolm X. Imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. You're absolutely right. There you go. So why don't you lay your number eight on us, sir? My number eight. Uh... I don't know how you guys feel about it. I've mentioned it to you before. Um, I didn't Fern, realize. Is it Fern Gully? Not this time. That's number one. Um, that better not be number one. <laughs> I didn't realize this movie had got a lot of bad reviews. And then in thinking about it, I can see why. But it meant a lot to me as a person, especially as a child. Patch Adams. Robert Williams. Yeah. I think that critic, uh, um, critics were really hard on that movie. I see a lot of interested movie. faces. Well, critics critics were really, really hard on that movie because it's – we were – like the 90s and critics were really cynical, like if that makes a lot of sense. Like there was mm-hmm. a lot of cynicism and that movie – like if you go back and you read reviews, it's all like this is all syrupy and schmaltzy and this was like, you know, silly it's it, you know it's, it was just really really maligned uh but I, I saw that movie in the theater like i remember seeing that movie i did too we, i enjoyed it we spoke about last week i mean mm-hmm. the 90s belonged to robin williams and i robin williams is much like denzel is a guy that you almost can't separate him from the character oh, because he's such a character on his own okay maybe uh but he's such a character that you can't separate himself you can't separate him from the character you're watching. But if there was ever a character for Tom, for, uh, Tom Hanks, for Robin Williams to play, that would exude the person who Robin Williams is, I think it's Patch Adams. In that this was a dude who was suicidal and was in a mental institution and almost willed himself to realize that there that I can be a better person if I look at things from a jovial point of view and find the joy in life and, and do that from a medical perspective. And, you know, I work in the medical field. And, you know, I work for a nursing college. And these nurses are taught, the n- doctors are taught, for sure, to be cold. Nurses are taught, you can only do so much. Like, there's a, the nursing process is such a thing. And then you see this moving, you think about it, and, you know, I've, unfortunately been in a lot of medical care and had a family in a lot of medical care and to see the perspective of which he thought about medicine in and life in and mind you th- again this is a guy who was massively suicidal multiple times in the movie in his life was on the verge of committing suicide but brought so much life to people and it's crazy how art sometimes imitates life because we know the story of robin williams in real life um but the story was massively uh important to me and it, it resonated with me in a way that a lot of movies don't um because i wanted to be a doctor until the age of 13 um 14 actually and 
I always told myself, I'm never going to be that doctor that's just, oh, how you doing? Here, you know, this is your thing. All right, you're, you're about to die. You have cancer. I'm gone. I always wanted to be that doctor that we don't have to be friends, but like I could at least, you know, be nice to you, be enjoyable to you. I understand what you're here for. And you're just as scared as maybe I am to tell you your diagnosis. You're scared of what the diagnosis could be. So, I'm, I mean, Patch, he, he almost went to clownery. But I wouldn't go that far. But it meant something to me because I would almost modeled my ideology of medicine after what Patch Adams was doing. And uh, Robin Williams killed the role. So great. I, I, it's a great movie to me. I'm disappointed in realizing now that a lot of people didn't enjoy it in 98 as much as I did. But I, I love the movie personally. I was personally thinking about coming down to Houston and for your front door, I was going to put a pair of legs and stirrups, and then people just walk right into your house like that. I mean, it works for me. Just give me a heads up and uh, make sure. Can we Venmo? Can I get the little thing where they swipe the, the card? Because, you know, I got to get paid for that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go watch the movie. There you go. So my number eight is uh, an interesting flick, to say the least. It's uh, Boogie Nights, starring Mark Wahlberg it's my it's 17th on my list 17th on my list uh you talk about people who owned the 90s julianne moore is in that movie as um one of the you know great portrayals and there burt reynolds in in a role that he was nominated for i think a best supporting actor oscar as well heather graham was at the height of her powers as a young up-and-comer at that time and it's this uh, John C. Riley's in it. Philip Seymour Hoffman, just uh, William H Macy, in one of the most just unforgettable moments in that whole movie. Uh, for those of you who don't know, as the guy whose wife is sleeping with everybody, and it's this fascinating sort of juxtaposition of the excess of the '70s and the struggles of the '80s, told through the lens of the porn industry. And, and most people sort of dismiss it because of the final moment of the film. But it's the first time I took Mark Wahlberg seriously as an actor. And the movie does so much to encapsulate the excess and the struggle that it, that existed during that time. Whether it came to drug addiction, to just the feel of the 70s and the 80s and all of that. It was just terrific. And it's also, oddly enough, a story about family. Uh, at the very end, you know, as you look at that movie, it's about a family. It's a weird family, but it, it really is a family at the end. When you look at those Don Cheadle's in that movie, too. I forgot about that. Don Cheadle as the guy who tries to make it. He tries to get out of the industry and tries to to create a life afterwards and struggles to do so. It's a very, very good movie. Nina Hartley. Nina Hartley is also in that. Yes. As William H. Macy's wife. I, I'm really glad you that's added great. this to your list, Pat, because I, I love Boogie Nights. It's one of those ones that's. On the director's cut or the premium content, whatever you want to call it, but uh, it's it's a phenomenal movie and it, it is definitely different because you know not too many movies are kind of glor well I don't even glorifying isn't a good word but just kind of extrapolating on the porn industry like Boogie Nights did and Dirk Diggler I mean what a fucking great name I, I want to name one of my dogs Dirk Diggler that's such a great name let's go with it. You can't fix that one. I, I will. Uh, <laughs> I will tell you this: that myself, DP, Satchel McFlippins, the General, Mike Mann, and and another another gentleman, 
since we have seen this movie in the late 90s for over 20 years, anytime any of us say the say say the two words 20 bucks, we look at the person and we don't even have to say anything. And they have to hang their head then in shame and say 20 bucks. Very nice. Um, That's a true story. That is a true story. Nice. Yeah, so that was my number eight. Sonny, I think it's to you for your number eight, sir. My number eight is a movie that's even more effed up than Boogie Nights. Does anybody care to guess what it is? Magnolia. No, that's coming soon. Even worse. Stanley Kubrick's final movie. And I'm a big Stanley Kubrick fan. Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman. Who else is in this movie? We got a cast of others going on here. I'm telling you, eyes wide shut. I wow. enjoyed the movie. It's a it's 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 a psychological thriller. It's drama to its peak. It's a doctor who's had his own escapades and can't believe that you know his wife could be cheating on him too, and ends up uh, at a at a masquerade party where there is just sex galore. So, I think the first time I seen this, I was actually in college, and I had come home from the bars or pulse parties or whatever and it was probably almost three in the morning when i started to watch this so maybe that's why i enjoyed it so much i probably oh, watched drunk and horny pc tony <laughs> but uh if you're a stanley kubrick fan uh you you enjoy it you enjoy the way that you know this is a this is a novel that was taken from the early 1900s uh it was supposed to be like 20th early 20th century venice or something like that italy somewhere and they adapted it to the mid 90s new york so i think dream story is the translation of the novella they took it from i can't remember the gentleman who wrote it i would have to look it up uh but check it out i thought they did a great job the cinematography on it is excellent i i have a funny eyes wide chest story so um i was raised by single mom my dad lived and still lives in phoenix arizona so every now and then I would fly out to Phoenix and stay with my grandparents and go see my dad for a few days, but spend time with my grandparents. My grandparents were like the coolest grandparents in that like they went and did shit all the time. Like they lived life. So they would go to the movies two, three times a week. And so uh, in 99, I was nine going on 10 years old. And so uh, they tell me, get dressed. We're going to go to the movies like always. So uh, my mom just happened to call. How you doing? Cool. Everything good. We're going to the movies. Oh, what movie are you going to see? What movie are you going to go see, Grandpa? Oh, Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, we're going to see Eyes Wide Shut. Now, mind you, I'm 10. I have no idea what this movie's about. I don't know what rating it is. And so my mom's like, hold on. Hold on. And she looks it up. And she's like, let me talk to you, Grandpa. <laughs> and immediately, like, you, you hear her and him on the phone. And then and then, like, they look at me like, so you're staying home today. We'll see you in about three hours. <laughs> and I was like, why? And I come to, to learn sooner than later that I, no 10-year-old should have been in that movie. Yeah, so, my yes. grandparents Good. made a similar mistake. They took me to Platoon. Um, <laughs> nice. I'll just say, uh, Arthur, Arthur Schnitzler, Trom Novell, uh, translated Dream Story. It was set in Vienna in the early 1900s, so. Sorry, just to wrap that loose. I mean, I, Ray, Eyes Wide Shut, good, wholesome family movie, right? Of course. Adult you, hey, you learn a lot of you learn a lot about science. Yes. Sort you of. You learn something. Scientology? Science Scientology? 
Oh, Jesus. Dave, okay, we're not going down that path. Dave, give us your number eight, sir. My number eight's higher on your list, Patrick. It's Silence of the Lambs. So, And it's higher on PCs as well. So you're seven. My number seven, I, based on previous conversations, I'm guessing it's higher on somebody's list, but it's Forrest Gump. Yep. So back to PC Tutty for number seven. Magnolia. Thoroughly enjoyed this movie, especially when the frogs came raining down from the sky. Which they told you they were going to happen like at the very beginning of the movie. Like, you know, this is a thing that's going down. Yeah, I know, but I, I just enjoyed the movie. It, it follows a whole bunch of different characters. One is a young quiz show uh, savant who who struggles in life. Tom Cruise is a what like the Tony Robbins of his time. Yeah, uh, there's and the father's dying. John C. Riley's in this as well. I mean, it's just a great cast. I like these oddball kind of movies. So uh, go ahead, Patrick. No, these were huge back then. Like, I remember Magnolia was was one Speaking that I... Julian Moore, Philip Senior Hoffman, as you were saying before. Go ahead. Sorry. A collection of posts. Yeah, it was one that almost made my list. But was, you know, if, if we were to say on the outside looking in, a lot of interwoven storylines that connect but don't connect and it's yeah i can't remember and i can't remember who directed it but it's a it's a movie you really got to sit down and watch too like you can't just like put it on and, and kind of follow along in the background like you really got to be on top of it paul thomas anderson was yes the director. that's right that's um right. yeah i mean i i don't i want to i want to shout out to to louis guzman who is a fucking forgotten yeah. actor that plays some amazing roles, not even just He's in Boogie Nights forward as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even going, what is it, uh, Waiting? Oh, yeah, where he's the cook? Brian Reynolds, the goat, right? Gives everybody right. the goat. The goat! Yeah, I did that to my friends in Vegas, and they closed the door. And so I'm standing in the hallway at our hotel in Las Vegas, and, and I just had my red underwear, and I put them back on after giving them the goat. And this family walks by, and I'm like, uh, well, welcome to Vegas. And then they let me back in the room. That's another true story. Same friends, by the way. We, we are just airing all of the proverbial laundry today on the 90s project drama list. Oh, Tony. So that brings it to, to me, right? My number seven. Uh, my number seven is the most historically inaccurate film of all time, Mel Gibson's classic Braveheart, higher on David Ungar's list. Can I just say something? I, I saved that for action. That's okay. I saved a different drama for action. So. All right. Gotcha. Like, we, all got, we all got our thing. So it's now back to you, Ray, for your number seven, sir. Ruh-roh. We're going to be in suspense with Ray. I think he's froze. Ray's number seven is drum roll, please. The suspense is terrifying. It is. Oh, it is overwhelming. Gully. So Fern Gully. Fern Gully's the next seven spots. Characters in a gully where there's lots of ferns. There he is. Oh, there he Ray's, is. Ray's back now. Ray, we assumed your number seven was Fern Gully. Were we correct? You were frozen, Ray. That's why we didn't. Why we were riffing. So please talk to us. Am I back now? You're back. Yes, now. you are. Am I back now? Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, we can hear you. Oh, boy. Okay. You're okay, man. All right. Uh, my number seven is The Truman Show. Anybody? No, but I liked it. I like the call. Okay. Okay. Um, so, and actually, I, I want to put my seven and my number six together because I think they remind me a lot of each other. My number six is Fight Club. Anybody? Uh, okay. It's higher on Tony's list. 
right. So I'll speak about the Truman Show. Um, I Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey is one of those comedic actors that. I, something about comedic actors when they make a turn to do drama, they almost do better than the dramatic actors because the, the role in which he played in uh, in this movie, uh, I. I he he played it with such a sense of bewilderment and and innocence, which needed to be the case for a guy who's literally been, you know, a reality TV star before reality TV for his entire life. Um, but I just what I love about this movie is not only the emotion that it embarks in, seeing all the ways they manipulate him into staying on point, right. Uh, believing that becoming acrophobic, believing that his dad died, uh, you know, in the boating accident, so he can't leave the city or the area, and all the the ways they go about trying to trick him into living the life they want him to live, and how he starts to realize it. But looking at it from a real life perspective, you know, we talked about it with the Matrix last week, the simulation theory. It, it's it's a movie that really makes you think about life because. I know there is so many times in your lives as much as mine where you're like, man, this has to be a reality TV show. This, this can't be real life. Some, some, somebody had to plan this. I know that's a joking manner, but then you don't know what's happening. You don't know, you know how many people, how many people I'm, I'm, a te- I'm a computer tech. So many people put tape over their cameras on their computers because they're scared. The government's watching me, you know? And then you see a movie like this, and it makes you really wonder, well, what really is happening in the world? Am I in control of my own destiny? Is this really something? Am I really making all the decisions that I want to make, and they're my decisions? We don't know. We think we do. But then you got this man. I mean, what was the show that was on uh, the old Spike TV or TNT? Not TNT, not TNT, but TV, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Joe Schmo or whatever it was. You remember that? The Joe Schmoe show, I think it was, where they oh, yeah, yeah. got the guy. Yeah, right? Spike TV. Spike, whatever, was, TNN was what Spike TV was before. Thank you. Um, the Nashville Network. But like, and you know, so you see how easy it is to do. And it just makes you wonder. Go ahead, Patrick. Oh, go ahead. I finish your thought. Oh, no, I'm just, I just think it's a really clever movie. And I love movies it's, that yeah. are clever, that invoke emotion and make you think it's a it's a concept and and i waffled between where this movie fits because this i think if you want to talk about dramedy fits very much into that drama comedy sort of combination thing much like uh in my fantasy list when i talked about pleasantville like that could have been uh it's a fantasy it's a drama it's a comedy and you know, Jim Carrey gets to kind of mesh his physical comedy, his comedic timing with a very dramatic story. It's also a concept that we were very, very interested in in the 90s for a long time in this sort of concept of reality and what is real. We had an entire science fiction franchise, The Matrix, that is basically the same sort of idea of you're not living in a real world. You're living in a construct around you. Now, the construct is different in The Truman Show. It's a TV show. Um, but the the kind of the general thought is the same. And Jim Carrey, and I'm not sure, I mean, I there's a couple of other just kind of great comedic slash dramatic turns that he has made over time. He is, I, I mentioned this, he's the narrator 
of the movie that is my number 10, Simon Birch. Uh, he has a talent and a breadth of ability that is so much more than comedy. And what I felt so terrible for him was, and it's the same thing that happened to Adam Sandler and a lot of comedians is that it takes them a lot longer and a lot harder work for them to be taken seriously as dramatic actors. Eddie Murphy's another really good example of that. Eddie Murphy, I think is one of the best parts of the movie dream girls. And completely agree. And people like, like he got love, but he didn't get critical love. And it's like, why? Well, he was up for best supporting actor. Right, but he didn't win. Bill Murray's the same way. Bill Murray's a comedic actor, but he didn't win. Like, they don't get the actual accolade that they deserve and have, I feel like, earned out of it. Adam Sandler's tried to do serious stuff, and he's gone back to what makes him money because he can't, he can't kind of break through that wall. So it can be tough. Um, Jim Carrey is one of the exceptions. You know, as he as he went on to make some great dramas later on. So that was just that was my thought on um, on the Truman Show and just that that concept of reality. Your number six is higher up on Tony's list and Fight Club, so that brings me to my number six, which is uh, one I almost considered saving for horror, but uh, couldn't because I feel it's more of a thriller slash drama than horror. And that is The Silence of the Lambs, Jodie Foster higher up on PC Tony's list. So we will move to the aforementioned PC Tony for his number six. So my number six is fight club race. So now tell me why you want to equate that to what you were talking about before. Just, just a clever premise. Just the, the, the idea that, uh, the narrator being Tyler Durden the whole time and not realizing it until the end and all the things he did during the movie under this, I mean, what would you call it from a, is it not multiple personality disorder, schizophrenia, but whatever the disorder you would call it medically, but completely under the, under the guise of we're two different people. Um, and didn't he, I, forgive me, because I haven't seen the movie in a while, didn't he, uh, he kidnapped a girl eventually at the end of the movie, didn't he? Sort of. Yeah. His, his girlfriend, Helena Bonacarda. It's all up for interpretation. <laughs> right. <laughs> Comes looking go. for him. They send her away. Uh, yeah, that uh, that movie. You don't look at Meatloaf the same way again. Jared Leto. <laughs> yeah, Jared Leto, Meatloaf. I mean, what a, David? Uh, who was it? David Fincher. Yep. What? I excellent direction on the movie. It's something you've never seen before. Too, yeah. Did, did you any of you figure it out during the movie? Watching it for the first time? Not the first time, no. D- DP claims he did, so give him shit next time you see him about that. Did you really figure that shit out, DP? Did you? Did you? That's what I want to know. Wow, man. My my ears. That's all I got. It's to you, David Ungar. Well, yeah, Fight Club's a fun movie, that's for sure. Uh, my number six. What's up? Dave, if you ever come to Wisconsin, we can make soap in my basement together. Anyway, keep going. Can we? I would I would actually enjoy that. That might be fun. So as long as we can uh, uh, take it over to DP's. Best on. Can Ray and I turn this off so that we aren't considered accessories to any like mayhem crimes or We're anything like that? Making soap in the Thunderdome, Thunderdome, huh, PC? <laughs> yeah, I love it. What's your number six, Dave? My number six is uh, sh- is uh, Shawshank Redemption. 
Not higher on anybody's. Wow, I am. You the, a lot of these movies you're saying I had to leave on the cutting room floor because Shawshank was at one point my number one movie. Yeah, there's no way completely I completely off my list. It's my number eighteen. There's no way I was leaving this off the list because it's. I mean, Andy Dufresne, fra- you know, framed for murdering his wife, uh, and you just get. I mean, Morgan Freeman is just a phenomenal performance in this movie. Uh, it's. I mean, what can you say about it? I mean, the whole the whole concept of him trying to go along with the the cards that have been dealt to him for as long as he can until he's finally like fuck this, and then he plots his escape and and the whole thing, and then he plans it with Red, you know, to you know go into this field, look under this rock that doesn't belong there, and figure all this stuff out. Uh, you know, it, it's fantastic. I think the um, Brooks Brooks's death is one of the most disturbing kind of scenes. It, it, you know the whole the whole thing with him just i mean that's what makes a great drama to me is is trying to trying to assimilate yourself into how would i react to this situation and brooks being in prison most of his life and then finally being let out into the world with no direction and you almost like i mean you do you sympathize for his plight and realize i don't know if i could do that but i understand why he took his life and then just what andy does and and the whole explanation of how he escapes and and the planning, and it, it's it's fantastic. I absolutely love this movie. Shawshank Redemption is just, I mean, it's got some great cinematography, some great scenes. That scene where he escapes and he's in that you know that pond that's outside the prison with the lightning going off. I mean, it's it's such a phenomenal movie. Number six for me. It's an excellent, excellent film. It, it really is, and. You want to talk about iconic images in cinema when Andy gets out of the the tunnel. Yep, Ray's posing right now in the rain as he as he's getting washed over and cleaned up. It's yeah, it's a really good movie, and it also you know based on a, a novella by Stephen King. I think that you know we we look at, look upon Stephen King as this master of horror, but he could write some amazing like he wrote the Green Mile. He wrote this. Like he write he wrote Stand By Me. He is a, just a terrific author, and there's a reason why his his work gets turned into film so often. So right. excellent choice, Dave. No argument there. I mean, and at the end there is because I, I figured it would be on somebody else's. Yeah, I mean, and at the end yeah. there is some hope yeah. there. You know, Red shows up on the Red beach and Andy's waxing down the boat, and you figure they're gonna be okay. You know, so there is some oh, hope. It's a, it's, I, don't, I wouldn't even say it's some hope. I would say that is a damn fucking happy ending. Yeah. Like there's, there's no, there's no like, what if they get caught? Like they're free. They ain't getting I caught. I love that. They ain't getting caught. Oh, uh, what's your number five? My number five is it's beginning the run of great Tom Hanks. Well, actually Forrest Gump started the Tom Hanks thing, but this continues it. It's Apollo 13. I didn't even think about that. That's a my second favorite Ron Howard movie. It's 19th on my list. <laughs> 19th on your, um, from historical accuracy standpoint, this is probably more historically accurate than Braveheart is, which I know we will talk about <laughs> later on. But it's it's a phenomenal story about a near disaster and and shit that could have really really gone wrong. And and just you've got a great cast. You got Tom Hanks. Well, you watched that on TV, right, Dave? Like you were there? No. That that part I was not there for Pat. You know, I was a little bit still young for that, but uh, predated you. It, it was it predated me before my existence. But Tom Hanks is phenomenal. Uh, Kevin Bacon is phenomenal. 
Gary Sinise, he's in this, right? He's the guy who gets left behind because he has the fucking measles, but he ends up being the guy who figures out. I mean, the movie's so phenomenal because it, it, it is one of these success stories from the space, you know, the United States space program that it, it's a success story wrapped around a complete and utter failure. And that's what makes it right. so good is they are, and the odds are just impossibly stacked against them the entire fucking movie and they come out of this thing somehow some way okay it's it's, well, it's a little go ahead Pat. Go, no go ahead finish, finish that no well go... it's a little um it's a little i love it because it shows human ingenuity by the way i i haven't had a no you go you go no you go moment in a long time so that was nice and that's what i thought was was is what's really great about this movie historical accuracy or whatever, but you know those movies that really show like the the like the human spirit, the human condition, and, and part of this is a little bit of schmaltzy patriotism, like USA go NASA. But it also tells a great story about we had had this fascination with space and moon landings, and and this happens, and that brings people back to being interested because American interest had waned. And it took a, tra- a near tragedy to kind of bring people back. And you still see that happening today. Like we just landed another rover on fucking Mars. And the fact that we're able to do that without a human present should just shows how far we can go as, as a people if we want to. And, you know, Apollo 13, like I said, I think it's Ron Howard's second best movie. I talked about, uh, his best movie, in my opinion, on the Chairshot Radio this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, movie yeah. Rush. And, and so, like you said, movie. the the concept that people took it for granted by this point in time that you yeah. know they weren't they were they weren't even going to broadcast the shit that all these guys who were so excited to be doing this thing are, are are showing up in the spacecraft and they bring the family down, but they're not showing that on 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 network television. They're just kind of showing it to the family, and then everything goes wrong, and then suddenly. Everybody's interested, you know, are these guys going to be brought home? Okay. Or how are they going to pull this thing off? And, right. and, 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 you know, Tom Hanks character, Jim Layfield, I, I don't remember. No, that's level, level, not JBL, the other Jim level, uh, you know, and he was going to land on the moon and then realize that moment of realization where he's like, we just lost the moon um, is it's heartbreaking. And, and the movie is, it's just phenomenal. It keeps you on the edge of your seat. I mean, whether you're familiar with the actual history or not, you're just sucked in from the word go. It's a tremendous film. So it's, it's number five for me. Okay. Houston, on to we Tony. have a problem. Yes. Thank yep. you, Ray Houston. We do have a problem. Tony, what's your number five, buddy? <clears throat> My number five, it, it was your number six, I believe silence of the lambs. Yep. Why don't you go ahead and kick us off there? Anthony Hopkins scares the shit out of you. <laughs> Like that's that like that in and of itself is the one of the performances of the ages, you know, rightfully earned him and Jodie Foster both in that movie. But it is a thriller to to end all thrillers. It wasn't even the first Hannibal Lecter movie, by the way. Like there have been others previous to it, but the way that he immerses himself in that role is iconic. I almost chose this as a horror film instead of of a drama because of the type of that is a different actor uh, with a different performance that threw me off, Tony. Um, 
he's so great. He's so great. And it's unbelievable. And, you know, people quote, like they misquote that movie. They talk about, you know, I, I ate his lo- his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti, uh, things like that. It's just Jodie Foster reliving trauma from her childhood of, you know, what Silence of the Lambs means. It's so good. It's so good. It has one of the more disturbing dance sequences I've ever seen in my life. I saw something. They're actually it's- renting that. The Buffalo Bob house out is like a bed and breakfast now. Buffalo Bill. His name is not Bob. Oh, Buffalo it's... Bob. That's that's Joe Dirt. I'm sorry. Buffalo Bill. This this week, see, it's is this the week you've gone senile, Dave? You haven't remembered anybody's fucking name at all in any movie so far. It's the alcohol. Didn't didn't AFI name Hannibal their number one villain of all time? Yeah, I think it was up there. The I know at there's. Yeah, because Atticus Finch was the number one hero. I know that. There's a new TV show coming out called Clarice as well. Mm -hmm. So just to tie it all together. I I echo all the sentiments you had, Patrick. That's what I wanted you to better articulate than me. Thank you. Yeah, it was was lower on my list, but I, I thought like you did, Pat, like, wow, this could almost be horror. But there's not really that many horror elements other than where he massacres all those people when he makes his escape and the disembowelment slash crucifixion. Right. Okay. That's hard. More, more that's thriller, disturbing. more thriller slash drama. I do. I agree. I think, I think thriller is a better way to describe it. Uh, so that brings it to me. And uh, my number five, my number five is another Tom Hanks one. We'll see if it's higher on anybody's list. And that's saving private Ryan um, higher on Dave's list. So that'll move it back to Ray cash for his number five. Well, let me keeping uh, let me keep going with the whole thriller theme and the disembowelment theme. And one of my favorite movies, I would arguably say my favorite movie to watch when it comes on TV. It's I literally stop everything I'm doing and watch it every time it comes on TV. And that's seven. Mm. What's in the box? It's nineteenth on my list. Good man. Eleventh on my list. See, I, a little higher. I could appreciate that. It's it's um it's another one that I'm waffled between whether it's draw whether it's a drama thriller or a horror film. I think it's closer to a horror film than Silence of the Lambs is because the body the only, horror. like there's a lot sure. of body horror in that movie. Sure, but the reason I think I put it on my drama list because there is an actual plot behind it. The the, the right. plot device isn't to scare you. The plot device is trying to catch a a criminal who is not really insane. He's, it's, he's insane, but like, he's another, he has a, he has a plan and he's, it's almost religious fanaticism in yeah. a way. Absolutely. Um, but my God, Brad Pitt killed that role. And I, I know we can't speak of this man like we used to, but my God, Kevin Spacey was one of the best actors of his generation until he started messing with little boys. Good God. <laughs> God well, I'm just, it is no, what it is. But you're not wrong. Don't use the word until. Use the word while. Good, good man. Good, good point. Yes, I'm sorry. I apologize. We can't. This is always that big struggle between the art and the artist, right? Like, yeah. multiple movies on people's list so far have involved Kevin Spacey. Kaiser Kevin Sose. Spacey's, Kevin Spacey's yeah. in A Time to Kill. He was Kaiser Sose. He was in Seven. Um, My number 14, a, American Beauty. American Beauty American was one. American Beauty, yes, yes. I think he won a fucking Oscar for that, didn't he? Did he win Best Actor? 
for that. So he, like, no, Annette, was it him or Annette Benning that won? Annette Benning won best. Yeah, the movie uh, and the movie won Oscar. I thought Best Picture. Yeah, so it's it's so tough because the art and the artist is always a challenge, and we've talked about that on this show before. Um, It it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that the movie itself is it's it's art, right? So Kevin Spacey must have won because this film won Oscars for screenplay, director, actor, and film. Yeah, I was I was pretty certain he won Best Actor because I for American Beauty. You mentioned um, Kevin Spacey, Ray, and and you know one of the better twists. I mean, like we talked, Usual Suspects was one of the best twists. Seven had one of the best twists at the end of it, where they just spin that on you. Kevin Spacey involved in that one as well. So his personal life, yep. notwithstanding doesn't detract from the fact that those are phenomenal performances beautiful movie uh and i I love move i love different premises and to go with the whole seven deadly sins premise and the way that they used it and to have again the the religious fanaticism to have himself knowing i have to die at the end of this to finish my circle such a really deep clever premise of a movie um and it's and I and they they knock it out the park. I think the entire time, even with Morgan Freeman playing the 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 continued trouble of the old black dude who's sick of the shit. Right. <laughs> the conflict that that, that Brad Pitt's design. character goes through at the end, where the choice is right there, and Morgan Freeman presents it to him: "Don't do this. It's kill him, let him go. He wants you to kill him." And Brad Pitt's conflict at that moment and his ultimate decision. It's gut-wrenching. Fantastic pick, Ray. Thank you, sir. Um, Speaking of guys... Oh, go ahead, Pat. I was just going to say, if you're ready to move into your number four, let's transition. I am. So I actually am changing my list because I'm switching my three and my four. Okay. I'm just just flipping my three and my four. So my number four was my number three, but I'm switching it down number four because I love my number three. My number four currently is, uh, again, Robin Williams. It's Goodwill Hunting. It's my number twelve. It's it's another again. It's it's like trying to pick your favorite kid. Cutting like room, cutting room yeah. floor, Ray. Yep, <laughs> not kidding. It legitimately is his number twelve. That's dope. Okay, um, uh, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, um, of course, Robin Williams, Stellan Skarsgård, I believe is. Yep, Stellan Skarsgård. Right. Yeah. There's all of, of, of the, the famous Cars Guards family. <laughs> Mini right. Driver. Um, but just I'm I'm I'd have you guys see, seen a movie? I'd love to see regular size driver one day. Mini large, <laughs> yes. Have you guys ever up, seen uh, seen Antoine Fisher? Yeah. With Denzel. This is like the precursor to Antoine Fisher in the same sense that you have a a disenfranchised kid from Boston, right? Uh, who is a sense a sense of genius who can't get past the trauma and finds this perfect psychiatrist or psychologist for him that might not work for anybody else, but works specifically for him, who he's also helping simultaneously, unbeknownst to him, get past his own trauma. It is just a really cool, deep movie, beautifully written, beautifully done. And thinking about it, knowing the insider baseball of it, knowing that 
Damon wrote it for college and then rewrote it with Affleck. And then it got bought by the uh, production studio. It's even more cool to me because that you, when you see Matt Damon in the movie, Young Will Hunting, and you see even uh, whatever Ben Affleck's Chicky or Chucky or whatever his name was, Chucky, uh, it makes it, their, you, their, their roles feel that much more authentic because they wrote the damn script. So it's yeah. literally, and they're Bostonian. So in a way, you could almost think of it as they are really telling their perspectives of life. And again, another movie, Robin Williams in the 90s, destroyed. Robin Williams is like the man, and I love that dude. And I love the different ways he can kind of, such a chameleon in that he can flip whatever aspects of his personality he wants on and off. And this by, this this is absolutely Matt Damon's movie. But Matt Damon is not the man he is in this movie without playing off of uh, Robin Williams. So I really just got one question to follow up with that, Ray. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You like apples? You're probably re- re- I said, saying I said, something in the like movie that apples? I don't remember. You know what's funny about apples is once upon a time, Ms. Smith came to a large production company and said, I have this great recipe for apples. And they said, no, come back when you're grown up a little bit. And then all of a sudden, marketing genius, she comes back 15 years later, and now she's Granny Smith, and all of a sudden, we're in business. Even worse than the joke you did before. No. Well, I got a number. How do you like them apples? How can you not remember that moment? That is one of the best moments in that whole movie when he wins over Minnie Driver in the in the film. So that that fell flat. Um, much Sorry. much like all it's of my jokes pick. fall flat. That's a it's pick. a great pick, Ray. I mean, it, it's a very it's great awesome. movie. And they and again they won they won Oscars for it. Like that was an Oscar well winning deserved. movie. Well deserved. Right. So that brings me to my number four. My number four, uh, to quote Ray Cash, we're going to go there today. Uh, my number four is American History X. We talked about uh, Edward Norton and and his work. And, and again, I want to I talk about a little bit about what I found American filmmakers dealing with or trying to reconcile during this decade. Because there are a lot of heavy-handed, poorly done movies about race in the United States that were made during the 90s. The worst of which, by the way, is a movie called Higher Learning, which if you want to go watch is terrible. But as Lawrence Fishburne and Ice-T in it and Chrissy Swanson, it has nothing to do with this. And it's like the absolute worst racial incidents that happen on a college campus. This movie is such a kick in the nuts in the way that it is done in telling the story of Edward Norton as a skinhead who in one of the more disturbing scenes you'll ever seen in cinema murders a man still gets out by the way with a curb stop murders a man with a curb stop gets out of jail has because of his time in prison had his world changed and altered and wants to get out of this world that he was living in under the tutelage of a white supremacist sort of cultish leader and is trying to protect his brother who has fallen in with this group and is following along the same path because he loves his older brother and wants to emulate him. And the the thing that the movie really gets wrong that I just I hate that it that it does this way is that the younger brother is murdered by a black 
by a black child in middle school because of an incident and the way that they and that message ultimately really still vilifies black people but the film itself it's it's shot in black and white the the indoctrination aspect of the film is very very powerful the the lens that it does try to cast on white supremacy and that movement of hate is very very again i think still something that's very very real and relevant for people to pay attention to today the ending they they, they booked a they booked a poor finish um but the movie itself it's like it's you can't unwatch it after you see it and there's Ooh. there's some things that are they're really really hard to swallow and some realities that are really really hard to swallow in there that the only thing that I wish the movie had done was have the courage to actually not end it the way that it did. Cause I think that the ending felt feels a little cheap now in hindsight at the time it was, you hadn't seen anything like it. Okay. Can I tell you why I disagree with you? Sure. Because you're, what you're saying is, is valid thinking, but I disagree with you. I like the way it ended because it's not meant to be a good story. It's true. It's not meant to be a happy ending. Like, right. I, I I don't remember his name. Forgive me. Whatever Ed Norton name. Edward Furlong's. But, Ed Furlong's the younger brother who gets shot. Yeah. Right. At the end. Uh, but it, it's not the the movie's not supposed to be redeemable. It's supposed to show what that life entails. And mm-hmm. I I think it's massively interesting personally that at the end of it, you're thought that so. The issue isn't crime. No nope. crime is going to happen. The issue is why you think the crime happens and how you treat the crime, right? So right. the issue with the with the black kid killing his little brother, the fact that we're thinking, oh damn, well, it was a black dude killing a neo Nazi, a skinhead, it's just crime, mm-hmm. right? But the fact that it's black further proves the point of the movie. That we're looking too deep and too strong under the spectrum of race, which right. is something that the man's tried to get out of, but ultimately couldn't. We are all stuck under the spectrum of race. It is a construct that we have created that we cannot come out of now at this point. Right. So to see that movie that shows it and almost essentially flips the camera around at America and says, This is what the reality is. Yeah, 90% of Caucasian people aren't skinhead neo-nazis but you said it earlier in the other in an earlier movie well to do white people are almost as dangerous yeah i would say much higher percentage than 90 are not skinhead neo-nazis it's probably higher than 99 (laughs) well i would hope so i would hope so i live in the south so i feel a little differently but i want to believe you not not to get too soapboxy but unfortunately we because we pay so much attention to that one percent, the the systemic stuff gets to perpetuate, and that's what's always been very fascinating about like even this movie, like this isn't this is this is an evidence of a pro- this is evidence of a problem and is as a reflection of a problem, but systemic racism is is oftentimes much more subtle it's why a white woman can call the police over her unleashed dog and think that that's okay and that and that doesn't and that doesn't register with folks and that you know that that sort of stuff can 
that can continue to happen. And, and it's weird that you continue to see it in the news. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I remember this movie coming out and I remember, I, I remember having it taught. I remember teaching it. I remember in preparation to teach it. I watched it eight times in the span of 72 hours to try and, and take notes and to break down what was going on in this movie. It is, it's, it's, and I'm going to talk about this with my number one. I think it, I believe it's a movie everyone should watch at least once. You don't, you don't like, it's not one you sit down and be like, Hey, I feel like a movie tonight. Let's watch this. But I feel like it's a movie. Everybody should see at least once. So that's my number four. Um, I'm, I'm willing to hand it over to Tony for his, uh, because this has been your heavy edition of Bandwagon. I think uh, my number four is higher on your list, Patrick, and maybe others, Goodfellas. Yeah, it's higher on my list. So I want to just give a quick shout out to something that's not going to make the list, which is in the same ilk and and, and some uh, couple of the same actors is Casino, which is an excellent movie from the 90s. So if you haven't seen that, uh, go check it out. It's on that's Netflix. Me. It's streaming on Netflix right now, I think. Great movie. Great movie. So... Um... <clears throat> My number four, Pat, you mentioned it earlier. It is Saving Private Ryan. Okay. Yep. So, I, I mean, the opening 30 minutes of Saving Private Ryan is definitely all action adventure. I, I mean, there's, it's not so much drama. I, I, I mean, it is. I don't know that I would call it adventure. Action. Adventure implies fun. Okay. Yeah, you're right. It's all action. <laughs> um, it, it, They base the beginning of the Medal of Honor video game on, on this, which I've never had a cinematic experience that made me actually feel like I was getting off a fucking boat storming the beach of Normandy. And after watching that movie, it's like, I don't want to be there ever. You know, it's, it's one of the most intense 30 minutes in cinematic history. And then the drama kicks in and it's all about, you know, trying to find, isn't it? Um, who's it? It's Matt Damon, right? Right, Matt, yeah. Di- Matt he's, Damon is Ryan, and and the concept of this one family has lost all the kids, all the brothers except one, and this whole thing about trying to get him back, uh, it's it's a phenomenal, phenomenal, absolutely tremendous movie. Uh, the whole thing with um with uh, Tom Hanks' character and trying to figure out who he is, and, and, and that the whole the whole pool with him. It's not Ben Affleck. He's not in this movie. It's it's a different actor. I forget his name. That's not a senility moment. It's 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 where you get um you get Vin you, Vin Diesel's in that movie. Vin Diesel's Adam in there. Goldberg's in that movie. Um, gosh, uh, Paul Giamatti, who we haven't talked about, is in that movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of heavy hitters in there. Um, God. Oh God. What's his name? Um, yeah, I can't remember. There's Sorry. so many, there's so many in there and, and the whole, like the one, the photographer who's kind of thrust into this whole thing, who wants to, he wants to see, I mean, in the most horrific environment possible, he's still trying to see the good in people and the light in this whole situation and to see him fall kind of at the end where he realizes, fuck that. These guys are scum. This guy's a scumbag and I need to take him out. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's depressing. It is hopeful at the end where he asks his wife or, you know, asks his right have, you know, tell me I'm a good man. I've led a good life. Uh, absolutely love that whole thing at the end. It, it's, it's a tremendous, phenomenal movie. 
I, I can't say enough about Saving Private Ryan. That's why it's number four for and, me. And and another gut punch of a moment in that film when Adam Goldberg dies in that movie. It is the most agonizing, heartbreaking death in the whole film. Between that and the medic, when the medic goes down, both of the where he just gives up. He's like, I can use some morphine because he knows he's done. Uh, but Adam Goldberg's death, it oh, every time, every time. Tom Hanks, Matt Damon, Edward Burns, Vin Diesel, Tom Sizemore, Adam Goldberg, Barry Pepper, Giovanni Ribisi, Ted Danson, Paul Giamatti, Brian Cranston, Nathan Fillion. I mean, tons and tons and tons of great actors. My antidote for this movie is out on the golf course. My father is known to look for his golf ball for an excessive amount of time. And I always like to yell after a few minutes, let's move on. It's not private. I am. No, yeah. nobody. No, no, I get you. It's um, yeah. I mean, from from dramatic effect, this one ranks real, 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 real high for me. So on to my number three. Um, this is a tough yes, one because I know a lot of people like to look at this as more comedic, which I really don't get. Um, it's the Quentin Ten- Quentin Tarantino masterpiece, Pulp Fiction, number three for me. A tire on PC twenties. Tied. Tied. It's tied. Let's do it. Cool. Let's, three. Let, let's talk about it. I, I mean, this movie is one that I've never seen. This is the first time I ever saw anybody do the movie like this, where it's 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 spaced out kind of episodic within the movie itself. So you really don't understand the chronology of it till you get to the end. And then you kind of go back and say, OK, now I get how it all makes sense. This is how it fits together. John Travolta. I mean, this is the movie that resurrected his career. He was pretty much like was pretty much like, you know, he was an afterthought at this point in time. And this movie comes along, resurrects his career. I mean, we've played the Samuel Jackson, Ezekiel 25, 17 quote. I mean, it's phenomenal. Bruce Willis in this movie is tremendous. And in, in a couple of parts, uh, Uma Thurman, the dance scene, everything about this movie, it was just like nothing I'd ever seen before. And, and the fact that they, 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 it's not a twist, but you don't realize that what's going on, with the movie is, is, is in this periodic installments until the end of the movie where you're like, Oh, it all makes sense. Now I've never still have never seen a movie that actually presented the story in, in that kind of a fashion. It's phenomenal. Everybody does a tremendous job acting. Each little story unto itself is better than the one before it. Arguably it's just, it's a cinematic masterpiece. Pulp fiction. Number three for me. Harvey Keitel and Ving Rhames also in this movie. Like, there's just some amazing Christopher Walken, Rosanna Arquette. There's just Michael Madsen. It, it's just loaded. Isn't Woody Harrelson in this movie as well? Um, it, it's just an amazing, amazing movie. What's that, Ray? Sorry. When I was going through my list, and maybe this is just the naivete of my age. I didn't put it on this list because I thought I can save this for comedy, much to what your opening statement was. So, and I guess you I don't would, consider it a comedy. It, I don't think it's a comedy. I, it's a it's a dark. Yeah, if it's a comedy, it's a really dark comedy. But I can see where it could be put on that list, Ray. I mean, there are some really really funny moments in, in that movie, to be sure. I, I I mean, you know, the whole thing, you know, does you know what does Marcellus Wallace look like? What does he look like a bitch? You know, I mean, it's there's comedy wrapped into some really dark shit. 
So it's definitely a dark comedy in points and places. Um, and, you know, Zeb's dead, baby. That That's all you got to know. Zed's dead. Zed is dead. And I think we'll we'll kill Pulp Fiction and move on to Tony's number three. That was my number three. Yes. Oh, so it moves it to my number three, which is Goodfellas. It's Goodfellas higher up, still higher up on Dave's list. So that brings it to Ray, your number three. Boys in the Hood. My number thirteen. Good man. Um. Y'all know John Singleton was 24 when he when he directed this movie. 24 years old. So, like, think about that. This man wrote Boys in the Hood is in the um in the what is what is it called? Uh not the film hall of fame, but the Smithsonian with the, the film capsule, the time capsule. Right. Like it's that important to the history of movies, according to the government. They put it in the time capsule. Uh it's just, it's a story of, you know, they don't know, don't show it, don't care what's going on in the hood. So much of modern America, rap music opened up a world of America that I would argue white America or, or mainstream America had no idea about. Y'all didn't know how things were down here. Quite frankly, people didn't care. It, and if I was in another situation, I probably wouldn't either, if I'm honest. You are what your, what your situation makes you. But... So many people think we kind of spoke about it a little bit with American History X that, you know, people do people in the hood, they sell drugs and they do this stuff because they're 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 horrible people. Right. No, your situation calls for it. And so you see the situation in which they're in and you see Doughboy is this this fervent gangster. But his brother is about to go be a superstar football player. And you wonder where the path switched. And it's because the society. He was in changed. Doughboy had to do that to survive. They go hang out on Crenshaw just to hang out with the guys. It gets shot up, like you know they're getting food at the uh, the, the the Bloods are getting food at the um, whatever whatever uh, burger place, and they all get murdered. And the, nobody thinks about the girl who's serving the food just sitting there, like oh shit, but people just got murdered in front of me. That was the life because you literally had that. You had no choice. That was what what you lived, and you know, and the idea of Lawrence Fishburne trying to teach his son there's a better way. This is what, this is how the society has made us look at things from this different perspective. And you know, of course, I don't know if it's a running joke in all of society, but in the black community, the Ricky scene when he's running and he gets shot and you know and so it's a it's a horribly sad movie it's a horribly realistic movie and it's important because it truly shows perspective of that i would argue a majority of the people watching it had never ever seen and so i i love it and i hate it in that perspective because so many people think that that is all of what it is it's not but that really happens you know you walk down the street in some areas and, you know, I know areas, like in my city, I can wear a certain color in a certain area and in some areas I can't. That's what it is, right? In some areas in the world, in the country, you can't wear your hat unless you wear it forward. Or you, if you walk on the left side of the street and you wear a certain color, it's a problem because you need to walk on the right side of the street. It is what it is. That is what gang culture has permeated itself to become. 
But then Boys in the Hood doesn't just look at gang culture. It looks at why gang culture was started, you know, and how, not only how to get out of it, but how to look at things from a different perspective. And I always, I always appreciated that about that movie. I just think it's a really beautifully and cleverly written movie. That's a great explanation. I, I mean, I, I want to give a shout out to a movie like Tony did earlier. The one that I had ahead of this one, Ray, was New Jack City. I have that on my, on my list too, yes. Okay. You guys have killed Patrick O'Dowd as a question, by the way. Oh, I just want to congratulate you for killing Patrick well, O'Dowd as a question. This episode's going to be long enough anyway. Wasn't on the thing. I'd like thing. to keep it a secret. I, I was kind of hoping you guys would stick to the script. I should have known better. I, you, yeah. you can't script us, Patrick O'Dowd. No, just go ahead. Clearly, I could not. Wasn't me. I believe, uh, Patrick, you and I have the same number two in this Philadelphia. Yeah, it's my number two as well. So why don't we go ahead and tackle it? It's my number 20. <laughs> okay. So PC Tunney is playing the role of Ray Cash from last week. Uh, just, you know, again, I love seeing th- I love seeing taboo topics or lesser spoken about topics being exposed and expounded upon. The idea of HIV and AIDS in 1993 is one of the most terrifying things that you could ever see or think about. Magic Johnson retired and is at his peak because boys were scared to play basketball with him, you know, because we didn't know what it was. So you have a man not only who has HIV AIDS, but has lesions on his body and is completely ostracized and wrongfully terminated. You have Denzel Washington and again, another fantastic role. Being this judgmental uh, lawyer who doesn't want to take his case until he's convinced, well, damn, you know, he's gay and he's going through this, all of this, what he's going through. Well, what's the difference between him and me? Because we went through this and, and, and sticks up for him. The court case, the truth coming out in the court case, we talked about a lot of courtroom dramas earlier on the show. And can you call it a happy ending even though Tom Hanks dies? It's a in the sense of justice being served, I guess you could say. But even then, as you're walking out of his victory in court, the last thing you hear the opposing lawyer say is, "We'll see you at the appeal." Um, To me, it's what what a you know, much like what we talk about with American History X, and what I talked about with the Time to Kill, is that this is another mirror on the country, and the the homophobia that was really going around in regards to the AIDS crisis. And it was really perpetuated in the 80s by the Reagan administration, first by ignoring it and then really embracing this idea that it was a gay disease and that it was only something that was being hit by gay people. And when folks died from it, even famous people, when famous people passed from it, like Freddie Mercury, Arthur like like Arthur Ashe. Well, like, this is being released uh, in the time of Magic Johnson being... Uh, oh, yeah. We're, we And that was the thing, is when Magic when Magic came forward to announce his diagnosis and retired, and, and Ray talked about the fear, the other question was about who Magic was as a person and the dehumanizing that went along with that. And that is really... To me, the heart of the movie, like the fact that Andy is wrongfully terminated 
because he has AIDS, to me is secondary to the reality of the way that people looked at gay men in particular in this movie as a, as a society. And, and, you know, and that's the thing is Denzel gives such like Tom Hanks wins the Oscar for best actor and rightfully so Denzel puts on a performance that is just as great and as impactful as a lawyer. Who's not only, He's he's more than uncomfortable with Andy to start that movie, and to see how Andy changes his life and helps him grow into a better person. We get a young Antonio Banderas in that movie as well. That's by right, the way, yeah. Um, as as Andy's uh, as as Andy's partner, his lover, yeah, yeah. And it is there's the there is the. The, the challenge that Denzel has with watching Andy die as they're pursuing this case. And there's a very beautiful scene after Andy's had this costume party and they're working on the case. And Andy has come to terms with his fate and what is going to happen with him. And Denzel hasn't reconciled it yet. And to watch them kind of grow and bond. It's a, it's, it's a phenomenal film. Can I can I give one quick anecdote? I'm sorry, I know yep. we're short on time. Uh, um, I mean, long on time. Sure. Well, fair enough. Um, you, uh, so my stepfather's oldest son, uh, his name was Eric. He passed away. He had HIV. I, don't, I still have not been told if he had AIDS or HIV. I don't know. But you know, when you've lived, uh, when you've lived a life around or with somebody who has had to deal with that disease. I know there was a good point coming there. Sorry. Uh, Y'all can hear me, right? Yeah. When you live with somebody or around somebody that has to deal with that disease, and it gives you a different perspective on life because I know all the things he had to do just to have, just not only to live, but just, to get out of bed, to get, you know, to, to go to work, to come around us, to, he was the minister of music for the church, to play on the organ, the things of th- that nature. And the interesting thing for me to reconcile is I knew he was gay, never cared, was one of the greatest men I ever knew. I didn't know what he died of until he died. Nobody told me. And so reconciling that in my mind really puts in perspective this movie because I never treated him differently, but what if he wasn't my brother? You know, what if I hadn't grown up around him my whole life? You know, we don't know how we're going to react to things like Denzel until you're put in that perspective, in that situation. And Denzel handled it horribly, but as you said so beautifully, uh, Pat, throughout the movie, you see this bond grow. And when Andy's when Andy dies, Denzel can't handle it because I'm sure he's thinking all he dealt with not only with in his life, but with Andy in the situation. So it's I, I love that movie, man. Philadelphia's beautiful movie. If I can speak from a lawyer standpoint on this, let's call Denzel what he was at the outset of this. He's an ambulance chaser. That's really what yeah. he was at the outset of the movie. His evolution as an attorney and as a lawyer to realize that because, like you said earlier, was there a happy ending? from the standpoint of a victory in the courtroom possibly, but you know, this is the problem with cases like this 
is the only way that the courts measure success is by compensating people. That doesn't make you whole. That doesn't fix the issue. That doesn't take care of any of that shit. But that's how the courts measure success or failure by all we can do is compensate you for all this stuff. It doesn't change anything. But yeah, Denzel's evolution as an attorney, as the case and the movie progresses, where he realizes there's a something bigger here than money, is one of the best parts of that movie. And it, it, it is. It, it's equally great performances by Tom Hanks, by Denzel Washington. Um, yeah, it's, it's tremendous. Fantastic movie. Excellent. All right, Tony, I think we're to your number two. My number two, uh, it, I'm not sure it's any on anybody's list. And for me, it might possibly be the greatest film of the 90s is Dances with Wolves. Oh, I, yeah. I, I'll, um... Go ahead, Patrick. Why don't you tear it up before I tell you why you're wrong? I'm not going to tear it up. It's, <laughs> no, go ahead. Do it. it it's, a, it's, a white dude, it's a white dude saving Native American people. As, yeah. like, and I get well, it. It is Patrick's it, opinion it, of this it, movie. Mine is on the other side of it, and I think okay. it's excellent. If you've never seen it, go ahead and watch it. And in the uh, monochrome of time that we do not have much of, let's continue on. No, I'm afraid. I'm, Tony, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I don't like the movie, man. Like, That's fine. We're two and a half hours in. We can keep moving. <sighs> Way to go, Patrick. You just rained on Tony's parade. I ruined, I ruined everything. No. So it's to my number two. Thanks, then. Patrick. Yeah, way to go. That um, fucking wolf. He fucking hates wolves. I know. Fucking white socks. <laughs> two socks. Two socks fucked it up for him. So I guess we're to my two, and then I'll be the first one to real, reveal my number one, then, if we're not going to talk dances yep. with wolves. Uh, my number two, historically inaccurate though it may be, is Braveheart. It's just, I mean, okay, we've we, we've taken the, the character of William Wallace and basically made him into a deity in this movie, but it doesn't change the fact that the movie is simply absolutely fantastic in, in every respect. You're talking disembowelment scenes and, and, and the torture of William Wallace at the end. Uh, there's so much about this movie that just resonates with me. Mel Gibson turns in probably, I argue his best performance of all time. I don't, I don't know if you can really debate that too much. It's, um, it is, you know, I, I, I can I can look past the historical inaccuracy because of the story that they're telling, you know, and I just absolutely love Braveheart. So go ahead, Pat, tear it down. Well, actually, isn't it? It's on your list. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's on, on my your list. list. Yeah, I have to tear it down though because is, it is it is it is one of the most historically inaccurate films like ever made. And William Wallace is is an interesting figure in that um, his role in that war was relatively minor uh, at the end of the day. but Because Robert the Bruce is really uh, who played the bigger, more, more significant role there. But it's it's just, it's funny because like one of the first, I think of the first major battle, and that's what this movie's about, is kind of the scope and sort of the epic look. And to give some love to Dances with Wolves, there are some epic shots in that movie. Tony and I are, <laughs> there's a rift here now. Um but but the battle <laughs> oh if we could film this um anyway but the battle sequences of like just the open fields of them charging across and like those those are shot like just gorgeous like the cinematography is amazing passing on the horse yeah it's awesome right but the, but the first the first battle uh it, it uh in real life it took place on a bridge 
it was over bridge and the reason the scots won is because they took out the bridge and so it wasn't like like the strategy that they used to win wasn't really accurate as to as to what happened and so is some of it is is yeah just kind of getting past that but the story itself and, and kind of what you're saying like again we taught we've done all these poses in king of the world who hasn't yelled freedom at some point um a la mel gibson uh looking at his dead wife uh in, in the crowd as as he is being tortured and killed and so yes braveheart was uh was yeah was my number two i mean did he ever turn in a better performance i don't think so I mean, Lethal Weapon notwithstanding, Braveheart's got to be number one for him. I don't know. I love him in the movie Payback, so. Yeah. yeah. Like my favorite. That's like my favorite Mel Gibson movie. Um, Ransom good. What's that? Ransom was good. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Uh, my number one, which I'm thinking might be Tony's number one as well. I'm not sure. Is uh, Goodfellas. Nope. It was my number three. Is your number three. Uh, this, I mean, Goodfellas to me is like when I think gangster movies three come to mind scarface which is significantly below the other ones uh good uh, godfather of course the whole well not the third one but we'll we don't have to talk about that and then goodfellas which really came out of nowhere and just kind of like and, and the great thing is unlike the godfather this is based based i say based on a true story the story of henry hill um talk about casting i mean you've got Ray Liotta, you've got Robert De Niro, you've got Joe Pesci, and then you've got a, a lot of other sub characters who are Paul Sorvino. Paul Sorvino, who just absolutely kills it in this Michelle, movie. Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer? No, Michelle, that that's Scarface. Um, My bad. I forget who who played a Karen. I forget her that's, name. That's what I want. I'll keep Spanos. talking. I got. T- keep talking. Okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. the 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 psychiatrist. Um, yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Keep talking. I, I mean. Just the the idea of it does glorify the mafia to to a large extent, not to a certain extent, to a large extent, it glorifies the mafia. But they do some stuff in this movie that is really un I'd never seen before. And, and they wrap it around such a great story involving the evolution of Henry Hill's character from. I mean, the way that Lorraine Bracco, thank you, PC, um, the way that the movie starts off is. The first line of the movie, as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And that sets the whole thing fucking off. It's, I mean, it's right up there with The Godfather 1 and 2 as the greatest gangster movies of all time. And and I couldn't, as soon as I realized this was 1990, I celebrated it. I said, yes, this is the one I was telling you guys earlier. My wife has never seen it. I've got my her niece telling her it's boring as fuck. Yeah, Sam Jackson is in this movie as well. He's, uh, he's Stax, right? The guy who gets shot. Yep. Yeah, Parnell six. Um, and just so, go ahead, go ahead, Pat. No, no, keep keep waxing poetic. No, um, I, I mean, I don't have to wax anymore. It's it's number one on my list for a reason. It's just I it's it's just so many phenomenal performances. Just over two and a half hours or however long it lived. And even at the end, when Henry goes into witness protection because he has to, he doesn't. He's reluctant to do it even then, but he has no choice. And I absolutely just phenomenal, tremendous. The stuff in the prison where they're not treated like other prisoners and all that stuff, smuggling stuff in, buying guards off. Uh, you know, I, it's just, you know, <laughs> Janet Rossi in 3R, you're a whore. <laughs> I love that you were like, I don't have to wax poetic anymore. I, I, I can't, poetic. but you the can't help people, it. 
the amount of people that end up on The Sopranos from this show, Lorraine Bracco, Paul Servino, Frank Vincent, Michael Imperioli, uh, who else we got here? Give me a second. Tony, Tony Sirocco, Vincent Pastore. I mean, come on. It's almost the whole cast. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a who's who. Uh, and Tony, you mentioned you mentioned Casino. One of the things I've always appreciated about Scorsese, particularly with Goodfellas and Casino, is that there. I, I don't know that I entirely agree that it glorifies the life of a gangster. Like I think it does to a point, but in all of those movies, there's a price. And there's a there there's a there is a comeuppance that comes along with it, and Casino even more so, I would argue than uh, poor Joe Pesci. Like, boy, does Scorsese like to kill Joe Pesci? Uh, um, <laughs> but but you look at these like you they lead these lives and they're great, and it's like they have these memories of what once was, and they miss it. But at the end of the at the end of the day, it came with a cost. And that's what I've always appreciated about both Casino and um, Goodfellas, which is the one I chose because it's kind of his opus in terms of like uh, in terms of his his films. And I still don't understand how Driving Miss Daisy beat it for Best Picture in 1990. No comment on that bullshit. (laughs) If you've never seen Goodfellas, you can watch it on Netflix. So go do that now. Right, absolutely. I'm texting my Tony wife is right your now. One. I promise not to. I promise not to dump on your number one, Tony. Oh, you you can if you want to, but you can't dump on Gump. Forrest Gump is my number one, as is mine. Uh, you can't categorize. I, go ahead, Patrick. You're upset again. No, no. I, it's a fascinating film because it's another one of those that. Um, how do you categorize it? Right, but it's it's drama and it's a romance. That's it with some right. comedy. Like it has to be drama. We went over this too, right? Like pull back the curtain, pull back kayfabe. Yeah. Like we could talk about dances with wolves, whatever. If you see it or not, it's a it's it's too long, right? Whatever. But it's a good movie. But Forrest Gump. I mean, whether whether you like the movie or not, at some point in the movie, you were interested. It is a very interesting and crazy concept that brings a whole bunch of different actors together. I mean. I can remember I didn't see it in the movie theater. And then, like, I, I think my stepmom had bought it on video cassette and brought it home. And I'm like, I've never seen this. And, like, I was gone for seven hours. I watched it three times in a row. So it, it's something different schematically in a movie that really hadn't been presented before. Like, hey, we're going to pull from all these things from the past and we're going to tell you a different story about a guy who you really wouldn't believe this if, if I told you, so I'm going to show you. And mm-hmm. it kind of still involves all the great historic American events. Uh, some of them. So I, I don't know what, what do you guys, what were your emotions watching this movie, Dave? Because this wow. is a movie where as you growing up, you, you know, all these events that have happened. I, I do. Thank you for commenting on my age. Tony, I appreciate this. <laughs> no, I think you can't talk about Forrest Gump and ignore the fact that they did something unique as far as cinematography by inserting Tom Hanks into all these historical scenes you're talking about. And, and that had never been done before at that point in time. And, and it added an element to the story that was like, wow, that's right. Like the stuff with uh, Lyndon Johnson where he shows him that he got shot in the ass and Lyndon Johnson just walking like, damn, boy. That sort of thing. Nixon, too, I think, right? Yeah, Nixon. The Nixon the that Watergate. was the ping pong. Yeah. yeah, he's talking about, hey, there's lights on over at the at the Watergate building. And just 
the the kind of like it, it is a little bit of retconning of history as they're going along in the movie, but they do it in such a great way that and and it, and it is it's got it's similar to Pulp Fiction in that they're telling an episodic story through flashbacks and, and not always uh, in in chronological order, but mostly. But the relationship between Forrest and Jenny is is and this ties into Philadelphia with she we assume got AIDS and that's what took her out. I mean, they never specifically say it, but it's presumed that that's what got her. Right. Uh, they show a lot of drug use and, and sexual partners. Sure, and, exactly. And, and so whether whatever whatever disease comes from there, she was and, stricken. And Jenny was a very troubled soul, no doubt about that. And and, and you get to see that. But but Forrest always stays true to her. It, it's it's heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time. I mean, Jenny's death is soul crushing at the end of this right, whole but, thing. But I think the crazy thing is you made an Oscar winning film that's considered one of the greatest films of all time. And you did it around a one dimensional character. Forrest Gump is the same person from when he was in leg braces until Jenny died. Same guy. He never changes. There's not another movie. I think that has won an Oscar that has its main character not changed throughout the entirety of the movie or grow whatsoever. Gary, I mean, to me, Gary Sinise's performance is magnificent. unbelievable. Magnificent. The, situation the, thing about, the thing about Forrest is that, and the reason I don't think that he changes as a character is because it is supposed to be this sort of microcosm of America and American history. And so we're along as an observer with Forrest, like as part of it. So like Forrest, right. Like Forrest is just, he, and he and he just kind of states what is like what he encounters. He just says like he says what he sees, and it's very, it's very basic and it's easy to understand. And and it's, um, yeah, I don't have anything bad to say about about Forrest Gump at all. I think um, it's to me it's one of the um, it's it's an interesting way to look at our at our at American history or a, a very specific period of time through American history and just sort of the, the snippets of what's connected in there and how, you know, this just, there's this guy who just kind of happens to be there and you nobody takes him seriously. Like people just kind of ignore him or take him for granted or blow through him. And yet he touches people with, with, just his mere presence in the way that he does. Like, it, I think it's a quite optimistic movie uh, when you really look at it in a it lot is. of ways. It is. So yeah. Sally Field was in Sally that movie. Field. His mom was, yeah. Magnificent. Uh, shit happens. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, there is one part of that movie where he grows. And I think that's when he asked Jenny if the baby is like him. And yeah. that's the oh, one God. part of the movie where he realized that's him stepping outside of himself to realize there's more going on here than what I've been aware of. Um, but one more anecdote for you guys, because uh, this is my number one movie too, but you guys broke it down well. Um, a couple of years ago, I'm sitting at home. My mom calls me and she's like, well, Ray, we, we don't use shooting names on the show, apparently. Are you going to see Wise Wise Shot again, Raymond? <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. I can see it now. Um, she's like, have you ever have seen this movie called Forrest Gump? I was like, yeah, one like best picture like almost 30 years ago. And she was like, I remember all this stuff happening. And I was like, it's not real. She was like, yes, it is. All this happened. I remember this happening. My mom is 60. 
I remember all this stuff. I was there for all this. Mom, it's not real. Stop playing with me. Everything in this movie really happened. Yes, it happened, but not with him. This is not real. I ha- we argued for 15 minutes about its, its truth. And That's so to this day, I, uh, we watch it together as, as, as a twosome and laugh because she thinks she thought it was real for so long. When I, when I was a junior in high school, my American history teacher introduced the Watergate scandal by saying, no, it wasn't broken by Forrest Gump. Like that was how she sort of started the conversation was that the Watergate scandal was not broken by Forrest Gump. The other thing I would like to say about this movie that um, I think is great is it has one of the better soundtracks uh, in terms of like popular music for the span of about 30 years. It's a, it was a double disc soundtrack uh, and the score is very, very good as well. I actually own the disc of both the soundtrack and the score for that movie. It's very, very good. There's also a public service announcement on how to consume shrimp. Yep. There. We'll be here all, we'll, we'll be here for a while. The movie launched Bubba Gump shrimp franchises all over the United States. Right. Dollar company. Very, very true. So excellent number one. Uh, and Ray, you said it was your number one as well. Yes, sir. So that leaves it to my number one, which will I am pretty certain we'll get exactly one vote when we put this up on the poll, because this is definitely not a movie that it's like American history X. It is a movie. I believe everybody should watch. It is not a movie that you watch on date night. My, my number one is uh, Schindler's list. Steven Spielberg's movie uh, taught in schools now uh, as a reflection of the Holocaust and the events of the Holocaust I have seen this movie two times, uh, once at school and once uh, I had it as I have it as uh, on DVD, and uh, it's a hard watch, but and, and it's fascinating because it's a deeply, deeply personal movie made by Steven Spielberg. Obviously, if you've ever listened to him do any interviews about how much that movie took out of him to make, it's. In my opinion, it's art in its highest form. It is a reflection of history um, that shouldn't be forgotten. Uh, Liam Neeson is amazing. If you've only known Liam Neeson as a 60-year-old former spy, watch Schindler's List. Uh, Ben Kingsley is terrific in that. Ray Fiennes immersed himself in one of the most despicable roles that you can ever see. And... It's it's hard to it's hard to even talk about because it's so like Spielberg didn't hold back at all about showing what happened in Europe in 1930 through the end of World War Two. And it to me, it is the most one of the most important, if not, in my opinion, the most important film from the 90s, period. I mean, I'll comment on this because Pat and I talked about this yet. When I saw the list yesterday, Pat and I talked before Chair Shot Radio. And I, I mean, it was one of our more honest conversations. We bullshit around a lot. But I told him, and, he, and you understood. I mean, I said, I, it's a movie I won't yeah. watch. It's just because it's, it hits, from my standpoint, from my family's standpoint, it's, it's too personal. And, and it hits on too many personal aspects. So I've never watched it. I have nothing but respect for the movie and what it portrays and the message it sends and the history it's teaching. But for me, I just, I can't, I can't do it. I can't bring myself to watch it. Right. 
Yeah, know? it's it's not it's not an easy movie to talk about at all. I can re- I, I I can tell you that I am of German descent, and that my grandparents were born in the twenties in America, and I think both their parents came over from Germany, and. I know that my grandparents that are together that are German went to see this movie and they said it was excellent and sad and just too real to, for, you know, like it's just, it's what happened. And, um, Liam Neeson, Ben Kingsley do a phenomenal job. If you can define that, I think, um, who else is in the, uh, Ralph Fiennes, right? Um, Ralph Fiennes, yep. It's it's just it's tough it's tough to talk about but it, it's something that it, artistically excellent and it is important to talk about it. I mean, you see a lot of kind of going down that not to that extent, but people going down that path in certain pockets of society right now. And hopefully, watch it and learn from that so that we don't repeat <laughs> the most horrific mistake of the last two hundred years. Yeah, yeah, it, that's that's why the study of history is important to not repeat mistakes. R- roots, Amistad, twelve years a slave. I have relived enough genocide in my lifetime to watch Shin's List, so I I can't watch it. I don't want to watch it. I'm not interested in watching it. I know the story. I think the story is important to tell. It's it, it's it's integral to tell because. History quite often repeats itself, so this shit can and will happen again. But me while watching it along for the same reasons Dave hasn't watched it does not mean that you shouldn't watch it listening. Because much like we spoke about with American History X and we spoke today, we've spoken about with Boys in the Hood to a lesser extent. A lot of these movies are important to watch because it flips the camera around and you have to be aware of things. And just because this shit happened in 1920, whatever, or, you know, the slave trade was in the 14, 15, 16, 17, doesn't mean shit. It could happen again, you know, and so much of our society is built around these travesties and these genocidal acts. So educate yourselves, learn about this shit, learn what you can do to not be a part of this shit. Be better. We can all be better. And watching this movie is one of those things that can help us in that goal. Well said. And I think that's going to close the book on this week's edition of the nineties, uh, the nineties project, a very somber end to a, a, uh, a list. Uh, again, a lot of great movies out there. If you haven't seen these flicks, take some time to check some of these out. There's some really, really great stuff out there. Um, I, yeah, I think that this is, like you guys said, it's probably one of the hardest ones we've had to do in just terms of making decisions on what to what to pick. And that's why this is a two and a half heading towards three hour podcast today. So good work, guys. Good work. And uh, yeah, that'll do it for the 90s Project Part 3 next week. Let's lighten things up a little bit. We're all sports guys. Let's do our top 10 sports films from the 90s for next week that'll be part four on the 90s project i feel like we need to bring the room up a little bit after uh, after i said hey everybody check out schindler's list but don't watch it for fun but you should all watch schindler's <laughs> list yeah. um, it's kind of like definition of mixed messages
Is mayonnaise an instrument? Want to go jellyfishing? What am I supposed to do all day while you're at school? Can I use your bathroom? Who's your friend? What does claustrophobic mean? <laughs> you know what the problem is? And that, of course, means it is time for Patrick O'Dowd has a question. I joked about it earlier, but there was so much talk of honorable mentions, movies we left off the list. So I thought I'd actually just have today's question be, what are some movies that you wanted to put on your list that you didn't? And I'll actually go first because, Ray, you stole one on me. Uh, Amistad yes. is, is one of the ones that I, that I uh, had on the list that I wanted to share, uh, but it, but just missed the cut. And another movie, because, um, of course, I, I apparently just went heavy, depressing movies with my drama list. Kids, starring Chloe Sevigny and a very young Rosario Dawson, That's uh, which is, yeah, it's a very tough movie to watch um, about teenagers and the you know teenagers and sex and the AIDS crisis with with teens and so those were a couple of other dramas that didn't make my cut and probably would have just made everybody sad anyway so um, those are mine what else did you guys have I'll I mean, go I'll go uh, go ahead Ray oh go, go ahead, look Ray. at Dave go ahead Dave no, I, I think I, I mentioned New Jack City that was the one that really was the one that missed my cut just ever so barely that was I actually I absolutely love that mo- movie I mean uh, you know Wesley Snipes tremendous uh, Chris Rock. The whole his whole portrayal of Pookie, Ice T, Judd Nelson, uh, that was the one that I really struggled leaving off the list. So um, I'll turn it over to Ray while I think about anything else. <clears throat> Set it off, Minister Society, Speed, Jerry Maguire, Shawshank, Groundhog's Day, Schindler's List, Silence of the Lambs, Fargo, Unforgiven, Reservoir Dogs, Usual Suspects, Thin Red Line, Point Break. Man on the Moon, What's Love Got to Do With It, shout out to Tim Turner, Dangerous Minds, New Jack City, Above the Rim, Any Given Sunday, The Fugitive, Saving Private Ryan, Apollo 13, Braveheart, Few Good Men, My Girl, Amistad, and Green Mile. I'll give you two that you don't have on your list that you missed. One's The Sixth Sense. See, I'm, I'm, I was going to put that in horror, but yes. And another one is School Ties. Uh, school Ties, Brendan Fraser. School ties, yeah, my number fifteen. Those are two. Uh, everything else, I had my top whatever is on there. But yeah, good, good call, Ray, on, on everything else. I don't, know, I don't, I don't know about speed. I don't, I don't know about speed. No, just kidding. That's a little more action, I think. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going. So Dennis Hopper at his dinner. Dennis Hopperist. All right, fellas. Well, that's going to do it for this three-hour edition of Bandwagon Nerds. My apologies to one Greg DeMarco. Shove it. It's the 90s project. You knew this was coming. Anyway, before we get out of here, gentlemen, let's do a quick once around the room. Remind everybody where they can find you and a couple of podcasts that you do on the Chairshot Radio Network. We'll start this week with David Ungar. All I do is work with you, Patrick, and sometimes with my best friend, PC Tunney, uh, but it's uh, you can check me out on Twitter at Attitude Ag. That is at Attitude A-G-G at Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. Mr. Ray Cash. Well, you can find me at the at the new Bo Jackson. Um, also at uh, <laughs> it's Ray Cash, R-E-Y as in C-A-S-H as in dollars. And uh, yeah. 
Me, you can find me in St. Louis rolling on dubs, smoking on dubs, mean mugs and shoulder shrugs uh, all over the Chairshot Radio Network, PC Tunny, at PC Tunny on the Twitter. Please continue to listen to Chairshot Radio Network. We appreciate all your listenership. And you can find me on the Twitter at Wrestling Realist. That is at W-R-E-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. You can catch me every Sunday morning with the David Ungar on the Chairshot Radio. In fact, you can catch all of the hosts of bandwagon nerds on some edition of i'm gonna do it again the chair shot radio uh every month uh, every day of the week every morning 6 a.m get it where you get all of your podcasts you can also catch me right here on bandwagon nerds as well as the babyface heel podcast that's gonna do it for this week's edition of bandwagon nerds now get yourself out of the basements everybody Catch yourself some drama. Get something serious going in your life. Enjoy it. And next week, we'll be back to lighten things up with the top 10 sports flicks of the 90s. You've been listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of the ChairShot.com. Explain this to me like I'm a two-year-old, okay? Because there's an element to this thing. I just cannot get through my thick head. Didn't you have an obligation to tell your employer you had this dreaded, deadly, infectious disease? That's not the point. From the day they hired me to the day I was fired, I served my clients consistently, thoroughly, with absolute excellence. If they hadn't fired me, that's what I'd be doing today. And they don't want to fire you for having AIDS, so in spite of your brilliance, they make you look incompetent, thus the mysterious lost file. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Correct. I was sabotaged. I don't buy it, counselor. That's very disappointing. I don't see a case. I have a case. It was like just before the sun goes to bed down on the bayou. Those old million sparkles on the water. Like that mountain lake that was so clear, Jenny. It looked like there were two skies, one on top of the other. And then in the desert, when the sun comes up, I couldn't tell where. Heaven stopped and the earth began. It was so beautiful. I wish I could have been there with you. You were. Really funny. Really funny. What do you mean I'm funny? It's funny, you know. It's a good story. It's funny. You're a funny guy. What do you mean? You mean the way I talk? What?
just, you know, you, it's, you're just funny. It's, you know, the way you tell the story and everything. Funny how? I mean, what's funny about it? Tommy, no, you got it all wrong. Oh, oh, Anthony. He's a big boy. He knows what he said. What'd you say? You're right. Funny how? Just, what? Just, you know, you're, you're funny. <laughs> you mean, so? let me understand this, because I don't you know. Maybe it's me. I'm a little fucked up, maybe. But I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I amuse you. I make you laugh. I'm here to fucking amuse you. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? I'm not just... You know how you tell a story? What? No, no, I don't know. You said it. How do I know? You said I'm funny. How the fuck am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. 